Hello, my name is Chris White and welcome to the MMA 20 Years Ago podcast where we're going back in the time machine to bring you your second MMA edition of the show this month, this time covering the Pride 2 show. Uh, this is Volume 5 for the month of March. We have Volume 1, which is of course your WWF coverage looking at WrestleMania 14, headlined by Stone Cold Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels. Volume 2 is your WC. W coverage, looking at the uncensored pay-per-view, and Volume 3 wraps up the month's wrestling coverage, taking a look at ECW and their first ever Living Dangerously pay-per-view. Volume 4, the first of two MMA editions for the month, looking at all your UFC action and giving you uh, our 1997 end-of-year awards for MMA. But as I said, this is Volume 5 for the month, and joining me for our second adventure into the world of Pride, we have... Tom Martin. Tom, how are you doing? Hi, Chris. Doing well, thank you. I missed out on the first Pride show, so I'm looking forward to getting into this one. And, of course, we have Bob Bamba. Yeah, looking forward generally implies with uh, with positivity. Yeah, we are we are responding to the first ever double MMA show in the same month by taping this about six, seven weeks early. So we'll be a bit lazy in that regard. But, yes, uh, this is going to be a... An interesting show, shall we say. Uh, but yes, uh, I- I'll go with Tom. I'm looking forward, in the most literal sense, to reviewing this. Bob, uh, kick us off with a very brief media corner for the month. Yeah, not a not a lot going on. I mean, you know, th- there's some stuff between Mark Kerr and UFC, but we'll cover that in volume number four. That becomes relevant here because Kerr ends up fighting on this show, and the the conflict is his availability between the two shows. Uh, but we'll, we'll have we'll we will have covered that um, on volume number four. The only other real bit of note was that Kerr was originally slated to face Hoist Gracie in the main event of of this car, but that didn't end up being the case. Otherwise, not a great deal going on. Not that I've that I picked up heading into the show. Um, I, I think a lot of the um, a lot of the stuff that we mentioned in the last Pride show we did regarding the the history of Pride kind of generally still bears true. It's this is only the second show they've done. There's still no real uh, continuance or connection between one show and the other, other than the guys that happen to appear on both. So so no major news uh, on the on the show this month. Okay, so we'll head straight into the coverage of the show itself. Uh, Tom, would you kindly kick us off with the results? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, show, we uh, started off in our opening fight. Um, Roy Gracie defeated Noki Sano via submission. Uh, after the first round, which lasted 33 minutes and 14 seconds. That's right, one round over half an hour. The next uh, fight that we had the joy of was uh, Akira Shoji uh, defeating Juan Mott uh, via submission in the first round, three minutes and 47 seconds for that one. Uh, a lot more respectable length for a round. Um, next up, uh, William Rusmarlin defeated Ralph White via knockout in the fourth round. Uh, and after that one, we had uh, Kazushi Sakuraba, or, or I should say Sakuraba, defeated Vernon White via submission in the third round. Next up, Renzo Gracie defeated Sanae Kakuta via submission in the sixth round. Doesn't sound that bad now, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Next up, Tassis Petridis, or text, uh, I should say Tassis Petridis, I knew I was going to struggle with this, defeated George Randolph uh, via decision after the fifth round uh, in a kickboxing bout. Um, next up, R- Marco Ruas, Marco Hujas 
defeated Gary Goodridge uh, in an in a, in a MMA podcast classic lineup. When I saw that on paper, I was very excited. Uh, via submission, uh, heel hook in the first round. And in the main event, Mark Kerr defeated Branko Kikatic. Got it. Via DQ in the first round in a very wild and interesting main event. It, it's interesting. Tom asked us when we were on air how to pronounce Branko Kikatic, and I've got a feeling his connection cut out exactly as you said it, so we'll never know. Um, but but there we are. Sorry, Chris, back over to you. Um, well, staying with Tom. Uh, Tom, what were your thoughts on this show? Uh, um, so I missed the first Pride show that you guys reviewed, um, so I didn't get to see the continuation of how that one went in comparison to how this one went. But going by what Bob said in terms of there being very little tie up between the two, I'm thinking there isn't much to compare it by. Um, this as a show, um, I, I have to admit, I watched it on UFC Fight Pass and there was no show. There was no introduction. There was no close. There was no break between fights. It was fight picture profiles, fight picture profiles, fight, etc. I think that's going to be normal for the, the English language stuff, as in also there's a live pay-per-view, and it, it worth, it's worth yeah. bearing out. The Fight Pass edit this show is is three hours and ten minutes long. Apparently the actual pay-per-view itself is around five hours. Um, but because there's no live US English language broadcast, the edit of the feed is just the matches with Baz Rutten and whoever the other commentator is just, well, dicking about, really, over the top of them, over with audio um so yes from the edit that we get to see of these um it is just bang 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 match after match after match uh, which will start yep. to give people an idea of how long this show was when we say it was three hours and ten minutes yeah and, and that aside from the uh announcer introducing the fighters and the actual picture profiles was three hours of fighting so given the number of matches that we we said that gives you an idea the length that some of these fights went to um, I have a number of thoughts on the show. I don't know quite where to start with it. There, there are a couple of good fights in here, um, but there are a couple, one in particular, which is categorically the worst fight and most boring fight I've ever seen. So it's going to be an interesting one to go through bit by bit. But overall, my thoughts are it's it's very hard to rate it as a show when you don't see the show, like Bob said, because you only get the fight. So it's hard to rate it other than what you see. And all we do see really is the fights. So that's all we can comment on rather than the presentation and the overall product of the show, um, which we'll go into a bit more detail on. But overall, uh, I've, well, I'm not going to go into too much detail without spoiling anything, but there's lots to say. Uh, Bob, your initial thoughts on the second Pride show? Yeah. Um, the first one had this big, you know, they had a lot of, interesting things going on that meant that when the action wasn't always great there was generally something to it you know matches getting you know one guy fell out of the ring another match ended with a a guy got kicked in the head and just you know just couldn't carry on so it's just like golf ball sized lump sticking out the top of his head um so you get weird things like that this didn't have those weird things um and, and this is uh I, 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 I use purist not in a positive sense in this in this instance, but this is a, a much more raw MMA show than even what we're seeing in, in, in 97, 98 from UFC, in the sense that you've got the Gracies who uh, are clearly excellent fighters, but were never designed to be on a an entertainment style package, as in like defensively they're they're like a 
you know, I, I kind of liken a Gracie MMA fighter to like a 1990s Serie A Italian side. You know, like you, you can have quarrels about them going forward, but you literally will never score against them. Um, you get the Gracies that are a bit like that, and the, you know, I don't think we've actually said it yet. The uh, that six round match that went 52 minutes, um, and it's worth underlining, there was no limits on that match. They could have kept going. Um, it just so happens that Enzo Gracie finally caught Kakuta in a, um, in, in a submission. That match could still be going now. Um, particularly given Kakuta's tendency just to lay on top of Enzo for, for most of the rounds. Um, but yes, I, I think when, when I looked ahead to this show, um, the reason I wanted to see it was Marco Huha and Gary Goodridge. Um, that delivered. Um, everything else probably didn't to, to one degree or another. Uh, I mean, we'll get there when we talk about the fight in depth, but I agree with Tom. This was almost certainly the most boring fight I will ever watch in my life on this show. And like kind of watching the Gracies or Hoist Gracie specifically in like the early UFC was pretty cool because he was in there with guys that didn't have the the basics of defensive submission in in that he could go in there, take you down and submit you in four minutes on this show. The Gracies are coming up against guys who offensively offer absolutely nothing. And the Gracies are in absolutely no danger of ever losing the fight, but the guy's got just enough of a base defensively that he can just survive. Or in Kikuta's case, about 50 extra pounds, well, yes. apparently, only, well, apparently only fifteen, but he looks a lot bigger. He did. He did look more than uh, fifteen pounds heavier, um, and it just doesn't make for an entertaining watch by anyone's standards. Um, even as you point to Bob, the MMA purist, I think would struggle to enjoy the vast majority of the fight. That fight, the 52-minute fight. Um, it's, a, it's a poor question to ask you both, but if you if you were to skip both of the Gracie fights, and there's a little bit in the first one, it should be said, I, I, there's a decent card here of the rest of the... the there's, you know, there's, it's not like this is just a shit card from front to back. It is just really the fact that there is, you know, uh, 88 minutes of Gracie action, if not a little bit more, sat in the middle of an otherwise fairly decent card um yeah I, I know when you're talking about the show you have to look at those two matches but it's not like the rest of the show stank it's just that when you've got this one big 52 minute turd in the middle um it kind of you know impacts everything else i know you said uh, you enjoyed the the goodridge and, and marco fight um but for me the the, the gracie stuff brought the overall entertainment down it it the negatives far outweighed the positives for me on this show in terms of a watchable entertain something you'd watch for entertainment. This was a big negative for me. And I've also learned that Japanese MMA fans, if the action's really good, they'll be completely silent. If the action's okay, they'll be completely silent. If the action's terrible, they will still be completely silent. Uh, you cannot, I, let's, let's say this, the, there would have been a riot if you'd have done this in Midwest America. 
like this card, like if you'd have had some of those crowds that we've seen at the USC in the last couple of years for this card, um, there would have, you know, it would have been Henzo Gracie and Kakuta versus 3,000 baying people from the Midwest in America would be, uh, would, would be my yeah. assessment. Yeah, I'd agree. That was one of the things I'd written down. And I, 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 I was, I, because when you watch a fight that lasts 52 minutes, there's only so much of man laying on top of other man that you can watch before your eyes start going elsewhere. And so I started looking at the people in the crowd and I was thinking, right, at some point, at some point, these people sitting in that crowd are going to start getting agitated. And maybe if they're just like tapping the person next to them, like, are you seeing this? Is anything actually going to happen? No, they were fixated. They were staring. Like, I, I cannot, cannot comprehend how they were able to sit through this and not get annoyed and not get bored and the thing is, even where the fights were really high tempo and there was lots going on, generally they're silent. They may be a little bit annoyed, especially when there's big movements and, you know, like, like big, big strikes. But generally speaking, they're quiet. They didn't boo once. In, even in 1998 in UFC, they'll boo if there's no action within a couple of minutes. If there's nothing going on for a couple of minutes and it's just groundwork, they will boo. This was going near to an hour and they were still not booing. It's, it's unbelievable. Just, just, and it just shows the respect that the Japanese people have for the fight game. So in a way, it's like, oh, my God, how could you put me through this? But in a way, it's like watching how this is done on the other side of the world because they respect it so much and they respect the guys in the ring so much. And you shouldn't boo the the guys in the ring. I've always never thought that you should boo them because just because you don't know what they're doing, that's one thing. But this one did feel like you were being slapped in the face a little bit because it was going on and on and on and on with no time limit. So as Bob said, it could, could have gone on for a week and they probably st- would have still, still been sat there. They probably, maybe they would have given them sleeping bags so they could have at least had a snooze or something. But Jesus Christ, it just wouldn't stop this fight. Uh, right, let's, but we'll, we'll get, we'll get there. Just, uh, uh, just what, sorry, Chris, just one more thing before we, or if you've got something else to say, just, I, I think the, I, I'm a little surprised that pride, even in their second show, haven't learnt from some of the mistakes that UFC made. And, and, and the Pride stuff, interesting, this is a, a much truer mixed martial arts show than UFC is, in that you will get some matches that are kickboxing, you'll get some matches that are what you call traditional mixed martial arts bouts. You seem to get some matches where, be it an unwritten word or unwritten rule or not, guys just don't want to strike each other, which is a little bit weird. Um, but I'm just surprised that they haven't uh, they haven't looked at some things that happened in UFC, like the stuff with the rounds. Some of these matches weren't judged. There were no time limits, um, you know. Which, if you watched even the the thirty minute marathons on the uh, on the UFC stuff um, that we've seen a couple of times before, you might figure they they might you know look at them as well. Um, I, I'm surprised that even in the second show they didn't quite learn from some of those mistakes. Yeah, quick question for me before we go any further. In the first show, or in, I don't know if you guys have seen any of the full pay-per-view product, did they do any introductions to say, okay, here are the rules of the fight, you know, here are how many rounds there are going to be? Because to me, it's, I felt the commentators on this show were watching the same thing we were. So they had no idea what was going to go, what was going on in terms of how many rounds, length of each round and what have you. Did, did you, do you know anything about that? Uh, Chris, I think, I think this show is exactly the same as the first in the sense that it was just, it was a series of fights and then over the, overlaid over the top of that was, was, what's the name of the content, Chris? It was Baz Rutten and who else? Stephen Quadros. That's um, right. Yeah, it's exactly the same, um, as the Pride One show, but again, we both just watched the UFC Fight Pass edit, so 
if you got the live Japanese oh. feed of this, I'm sure there would be more. But um, as yeah, far as I, 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 there, there was no English feed it, it, on this, there was no live English feed. So I think this is the only English language version of the show. I don't believe there was any way of watching this show. You, you couldn't watch it in America live anyway. But I presume in Japan there was no English language feed of it because I'm I'm fairly confident Rutten and Quadros aren't watching this live. I think they're just watching it as live when they've got the footage. Yeah, and it's um, worth saying, it's worth saying that, that the commentary that they do, in my opinion, we had a pretty wild main event, which is really worth talking about and it's noteworthy, but the commentary on this show is, is the most memorable thing about it. I've, I've never heard such a relaxed, they literally, it's literally like you've got a window into some bloke's basement where him and his mate are sitting drinking beer and watching it. It's, it's, it's unreal some of the stuff they were coming out with. You could tell they don't work for pride. You can tell they were just like someone gave them like you know we're going to give you the opportunity to tape over this this footage, do what you like, and you know knowing that not many people are going to buy the tape in America, probably like four or five hundred or something like that, uh, which is kind of why it's quite cool. It's now fight pass, although so people can see it. You know, you take that one way or the other. Um, yeah, but they know yes, their stuff as well. They do. Bass Rutten is excellent. It should be said. Um, one last thing. We, I was going to say, we might, might start reviewing this show in a bit, but yeah, sorry, Chris. Um, one last thing on the commentators. In the main event, um, Rutan is actually in Kerr's corner, and he can be seen in the ring after the the DQ, uh, and he's commentating <laughs> like as live. That's, that's breaking the fourth wall, that is, isn't it? Yeah, but you can see him in the background, and there's absolutely no reference to it. So I think you're bang on with sort of like the setup of this show. They've, they've just sort of got I did not know that. Edit. So yes, yeah, he probably, probably seen the entire show and then had to comment. So it, what made yeah. me? I felt really sorry for the That's guy. Weird though. Was that the second time he's had to? Like, did he see the fifty-minute fight live and then have to rewatch it to commentate on it? Because I, I, I feel to, really sorry for him. To be fair, if you're stupid enough to sit in a room and pretend like you don't know what's going to happen and record it as some kind of podcast or some kind of you know video overlay, <laughs> then you know you get what's coming to you, right? I guess so, yeah. Um, That's yeah, breaking so the fourth guess... wall, but there we are. So <laughs> should, should, should we start with this show? We should get going. Um, we open the show with both Hoyler Gracie and Yuri Sano in the ring ahead of their fight. Our hosts are, as the aforementioned, Stephen Quadras and Bass Ritten. Um, we go over to you, Bob, for the fighter profiles to introduce the two fighters. Yes, Hoyler Gracie is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner who is the brother of Hickson and Hoist. He enters this fight with a 2-0 MMA record and was giving up between 50 and 60 pounds in this contest. His opponent, Yuhi Sanho, is a professional wrestler making his MMA debut. This fight begins. They touch gloves to open. After a tentative opening uh, throughout which Sanho was actually stretching, uh, they go into a collar and elbow tie-up and Hoyler pulls guard. Sano tries to stand, but Hoyler pulls into a butterfly guard position and gets double underhooks before getting a nice sweep and ending up on top in the mount. Sano uses his size advantage to roll out from underneath Hoyler, uh, but goes for a triangle from the bottom. Sano lifts him up and shakes him off, and the action returns to standing. Back into a collar and elbow tie-up, and Hoyler pulls guard again. In commentary, Quadros calls Takala the Hulk Hogan of Japan. Nothing much is happening here. They just grapple on the mat. Sano does eventually avoid another triangle attempt, and I'm not sure either guy has thrown a strike yet. 
Hoyler pulls off another nice sweep from the bottom and ends up on top, this time inside mount. He gets his right knee onto Sano's left arm, but doesn't do anything with it. Uh, the announcers begin complaining about the complete dud that they're seeing in front of them, and Hoyler is doing nothing from the top, with Sano doing even less from the bottom. Codras points out that neither man has so much as a scratch so far, and then he asks Rutan, is this fight boring? To which he replies, yes, yes it is. Codras goes so far as saying, there's absolutely no drama here, and he's not wrong. The arena is definitely silent, but as Bob rightly pointed out at the start, that's not indicative of the action necessarily. Uh, Rutan says he doesn't want to watch this for the next 30 minutes, and I completely agree with him. This, I, I, uh, Going over my notes, I've written, this is one of the most boring fights I've ever seen, and would they make me pay for writing that down later in the show? I was going to say very... more of the point. There is somebody who said that if we're under the impression that Baz Rutan's already seen this show, it's a hell of a commitment to go back through and watch it again. The poor bloke. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we actually do see our very first strike of the contest thrown around the 15-minute mark, uh, but Bass isn't too sure about it and suggests that it might have actually just been a push. Euler is now throwing very, very, very occasional short strikes with minimal power, but otherwise absolutely nothing is happening. The announcers just bearing this, comparing the fight to two insects or cockroaches fighting, and question who would want to pay to see either of these men fight again. Bass actually starts impersonating Al Pacino from uh, Scarface after his cockroaches reference. Sano finally tries to escape from the bottom at around the 20-minute mark, but Hoyler prevents it. Minutes have passed, and there's still very little happening. Bass describes it as people lying on each other. We reach the 25-minute mark. Sano suddenly reverses position and is able to get on top, and he kneels in Hoyler's guard. Sano just kneels there, and Hoyler starts punching up from the bottom. A few of the punches get through, and they bust up Sano's nose. Hoyler lands a nice upkick and continues throwing punches from the bottom, and the crowd sort of come alive here and make some noise as Sano stands up to avoid the strikes from the bottom, which just opens him up to more upkicks, so he soon drops back into the guard, where he continues to take punishment anyway. The referee pauses the action to sort out some loose tape on Hoyler's glove, and they restart in the same position, with Hoyler on the mat, and Sano switching between kneeling in the guard and standing. Hoyle executes a nice sweep, gets full mount, so Sano turns and gives up his back. Uh, he quickly rolls into the mount, but Hoyle catches an arm lock, uh, and catches an arm and locks in a straight arm bar to pick up the submission victory after just over 33 minutes. Uh, Tom, I'll come to you first on that one. What did you make of the opening fight? Yeah, what, what a wild opener, eh? This is just what you want to open a pay-per-view. Something to really get the blood boiling and to get you pumped. Um, Jesus Christ. I, I, um, I've watched a lot of MMA events. Uh, I've watched a lot of pro wrestling events. I've watched a lot of live sporting events. This is the worst thing you can have opening a show. Um, let's, let's, you know, put a, put a tag note on that just by saying it gets worse. Which is not to say that there isn't stuff in the show to enjoy, but I just want to sort of you know, make, make, make that point that I've got lots of issues with, with this fight, but actually it's not as bad as what comes later, so I won't spend too long criticising it. So what I will say is that the, the opening couple of minutes and the last five minutes were actually pretty good in this fight. And that if you, well, if you could somehow the, cut the out the other... first 60 seconds, absolutely nothing happened in the first 60 seconds of this fight. Uh, there, there was a decent sweep in there from Gracie after about, I think it was about a couple of minutes in. What I'm yeah. saying is, what I'm saying is, uh, it wasn't just men lying on each other for for the opening two and for the for the last five because that's that's pretty much all that happened in in, in the other twenty twenty eight whatever it was twenty four minutes of this fight. Um, the Gracies are well known, you know, legendary jiu jitsu practitioners. 
the issue that I had with this fight and that I had with basically all the Gracie fights that, that are on the card, you didn't see a lot of, of jiu-jitsu. There was, there was a lot of control. There was nothing that led you... And this is another point I was going to get to. There's nothing that led you to believe that the fight was going to come to an end or that at least anyone wanted it to come to an end. Um, this one went 32, 33 minutes, whatever it was. That's a hell of a long time for a continuous fight. And it, there were such long stretches in this where there were so many opportunities where one of them, and it's not just the Gracie, Cassano was, was as guilty, if not more of it. He had so many opportunities, whether he was in full mount or, or had, a, had, had Gracie's back or whatever, to actually land some strikes, to, to build the offense, to actually try and do something to get the fight going and to actually try and win the fight. It, it, it was a bizarre experience. And, and I, 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 it, it's, there's a point I wanted to make here. I'm not sure how much this a lot of the guys on this card wanted to win their fights. I think there was a degree of let's stretch this out as much as we can, because otherwise there's no explanation why you would sit on someone and not punch them. I, I, there's no explanation for it. If you're in, in a position, any combat sport, if you're in a position where you can strike someone, you should. Uh, and, and if it's like a minute or two, you think, OK, maybe they're trying to get their position and, and maybe he's out of breath. He hasn't. But this is we're talking five minutes into the fight and this starts. And 25 in, it's still going. So, bizarre. But anyway, so I don't want to rattle on too long. Um, one of the bits of commentary that I liked from uh, Baz was when he said, imagine if you'd started this fight um, by saying, it might be over quickly, so I'm not going to go to the bar and get a beer now. Uh, so he said, imagine spending 30 minutes watching this without a beer. That would be traumatising, <laughs> which really made me laugh. Um, yeah, I, it was a bizarre fight. Um, but the last five minutes was good. Sano got really marked up at the end. Um, Gracie was doing some good work from the ground every now and then, uh, landing some short rights. Um, you know, the tape got sorted out, which was really frustrating after half an hour of fighting. And Sano gave up his back um, and the arm bar was in. You know, thank, thank fuck that's over. But uh, it only gets worse. Bob, your thoughts on the opener? Yeah, um, this is about as bad as the... Uh, it reminds me... Of- the Shamrock down seven to fight in that there's there's not a lot for a very long time and then it briefly gets somewhat interesting and then it's over um I kind of come back to what I said earlier about about the Gracies they're just both you know the both there's more than two of them two on this card Gracies as as mixed martial artists defensively are as, as as strong as you'll probably see for this era um but a lot of what they practice is that defense and you hear all the stories about them and all you know some of them are true some of them are probably myths and a lot of them about these kind of marathon fights and about you know basically just you know outlasting people that kind of is their style they weren't really designed to be these great offensive fighters with the belief that they had this like impenetrable system and if it was based off the primary of defense then you get that um and you get fights like this um you know and Quadros and Baz Rutten were largely just amusing themselves. At one point, Baz Rutten started singing, which is not the best indicator that there's a good fight going on. Um, I think Quadros at one point says, I'll bet you a million dollars this fight won't end in a knockout. Um, yeah, I think you'd have been safe with that bet. Um, yeah, it, 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 it got interesting eventually. Uh, uh, in the same way that I can admire, a, you know, in the same way that I can at least admire a Jose Mourinho side grinding out a one mil one nil win, I can at least admire Euler Gracie's approach here. Outlast the guy, you know, 
perfectly in control, even though it was significantly lighter. Okay, it perhaps might have been a bit different had Sano been throwing, but I suspect it might have been a bit worse for, for Sano, i.e. if he'd have started throwing his arms at him, he probably would have lost much more quickly. And then Hoyler just found his spot and won the match. So I can at least say that, like technically from a Gracie standpoint, this match went exactly the plan. The problem is, is that that plan is not particularly watchable. I like completely agree with everything you say in your assessment of sort of the Gracies as a as a family fighting unit and the way they are built does not suit MMA as entertainment for a, a TV product basically. But like Sano is a professional wrestler making his MMA debut, very little combat sports training, and I just thought like it took Gracie like when he was reversed and put on his back that's when he started opening up with punches I just thought like you've waited 25 minutes and you've not looked to submit this guy once like I I lost my appreciation of the closing of this fight with how much the opening 25 or so dragged for me Um, I really didn't enjoy it, it was a really flat way to kick off a a show that is geared toward entertainment and I, I mean whether you can blame, like, I, I don't think you can blame, like, Hoyler, really. Like, that's how he fights. But maybe I blame whoever put this card together and put them in the opener. Like, I don't, like, it's just not the way you want a show to start. And as uh, Tom rightly pointed out, it does only get worse. With that, uh, we'll move straight into the second fight of the night. So, Bob, back over to you to introduce our fighters. Yes. Fight number two, Akira Shoji versus Juan Mott. Shoji was a nationally ranked judoka holding an MMA record of one win, one loss and two draws. Coming off his draw with Henzo Gracie at Pride 1, he weighs in at 194 pounds. His opponent, Juan Mott, is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner entering this fight with a 2-1 MMA record. He weighs in at 187 pounds. Underway in the fight, both guys circle to open. Uh, Mott throwing some short front leg kicks, which get through to Shoji consistently. Shoji fakes, fakes a jab and lands a low kick of his own as he continues circling around Mott. And then another leg kick lands for Mott. Shoji closes the distance with a jab, ties up with Mott and gets a takedown into full mount. Shoji takes his time before posturing up and landing some big punches. Mott scrambles to avoid them, in doing so giving up his back. Shoji throws a few more punches before locking in a rear naked choke. Mott struggles, but eventually succumbs to the choke and taps out, giving Shoji the submission victory after 3 minutes and 37 seconds. Uh, Bob, I'll come to you first on this one. Um, what do you make of the second fight? Uh, it's a bit more interesting than the first, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Um, you know, Mott like, appeared to get the takedown, I think. Um but it, it kind of left Shoji in just the perfect position. And then, as we say, on a on a card where I don't know whether it's guys feeling more confident throwing punches or just guys willing to, or and I'm written agreement that some will, some won't. Um, there were more punches in, in this 30 seconds than it felt like there were in the first match, at least the first 20 minutes. Um, Shoji just raising on a couple of shots, and it is the the, the classic thing. Once the, uh, once the guy gives up his back, then it's just a matter of time. Uh, yes, a, uh, a a nice brief, a nice brief follow up to the uh, to the opener. 
Tom, what do you make of this one? Yes, this was a, a, a decent um, second fight. After the, the the first one, it was it's it's quite good actually that you, you're reminded that you know we aren't going to have to sit through another one, not immediately anyway. Um, I, I was impressed with uh, well, it was a good start from both actually on this. I thought that you know they were they were circling each other at the start, both landing low kicks, um, trying to trying to sound each other out. Um, Mott switches stance, try you know he switched that up, trying to trying to um, again it was more more of a sounding thing. This happened for about a minute or probably a minute and a half. Um, bearing in mind it only lasted three and a bit. Yeah, and um, Shoji, nice trip takedown, flattened him out like a pancake. Uh, some punches on top, uh, and yeah, it, it was quite. It was, I, it's a bit of a shame it didn't go a little bit longer because it would have been nice to see if Mott actually had something um, something else up his sleeve, but. A very uh, impressive performance from Shoji, and you know that's how this is how you win a fight. You, you if you're good on the ground, you take your p- opponent down, you flatten him out so he can't move, you lock something in, and you choke him out. That's how you win a fight, and it was almost uh, a very welcome uh, reaction to what came before it, as I said. But uh, no, I was, I was impressed with um, with Shoji on this one. Yeah, this was a a nice little fight. Um, nothing too spectacular, but a welcome change of pace from the opener. I like Shoji a lot. Um, I think he did a lot on the first Pride show to endear himself to both me and Bob um, in his draw with uh, Gracie. Um, it's hard to take any particular insight into his performance here as he just sort of seemed a level above Mott, generally speaking. like he, 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 As you just sort of correctly mapped out, Tom, like a, a blueprint to this is how you win a fight. Like that, He just sort of did it and everything worked and he won it pretty quickly and pretty comfortably this was this was fine pretty decent next up uh, we have a kickboxing contest so bob over to you to introduce our kickboxers yes next up it's ralph fight ralph white ralph white versus william van roos marlin White is an American kickboxer standing at six foot three and weighing in at 225 pounds. He's last seen on the Pride One show, picking up a disqualification victory over the headliner on this show, Branko Kikatich, after being punted in the head while on the ground. Kickboxing bout. His opponent, William Van Roos Marlin, is a former Muay Thai world champion from Holland. Uh, I'm not going to go too in-depth with my play-by-play uh, play for any of these kickboxing fights. I'll do general summaries around talking about sort of any particular highlights. Um, the opening round came out with White uh, being the aggressor, and he frequently kicked to the leg and body successfully. Van Roosmarlin took the middle portion of the round, but was eventually warned for excessive clinching towards the end. Uh, the second round, Van Roosmarlin came out and won this round. Yeah, he opened well with a nice jab, avoided White's kicks better in this round, and he generally took control of the fight. White did grow into it and landed some nice punches toward the end, but continuously failed to check any leg kicks, and towards the end did get caught with a big overhand right. Van Roosmarlin continued his domination in the third, landing some great kicks and knees to the legs of White in the clinch, while controlling it and sort of bullying him around the ring. White looked completely knackered by the end of this, and Van Roosmarlin picked him apart. The fourth round got off to a tentative start. White was slow to get back to his feet off his stool in the corner. Van Roosmarlin landed a few nice leg kicks before they clinched. Van Roosmarlin then hit a huge knee to the liver, which dropped White, put him down for the 10 count after just 38 seconds of the fourth round. Bob, I'll come to you uh, for this one. What did you make of this kickboxing contest? And uh, poor Ralph White doesn't have an easy go of it on these pride shows. No, it's... um. 
Uh, as I say, you, you review the whole show, and it's it's hard not to be very, very negative on the show as, as a whole. But as I say, if you look at the individual matches, there's some at least interesting stuff going on at, at times. And, and I'd file this under that as well. You know, it's it was kickboxing, and I know far less about kickboxing than I do about mixed martial arts. I don't know a lot about mixed martial arts. Um, so I, I don't know what a good or a bad kickboxing match necessarily looks like. Kickboxing fight, I should say, or bout. Um, but yeah, it was it was a nice, easy kind of story to follow with, I think, White had the better of the early going and then Roos Marlin kind of got his way into it with some nice shots. And then white started tiring he still looked impressive uh that was the thing like he was he was tiring but he was still going at him um but Bruce marlin just basically started chopping him down um baz was was quite enjoying it i mean they are both dutch i suppose and then yeah round four he was white was clearly struggling coming out of the gate um and then after all of his kicks it was a a knee to the midsection that did it but an effective performance from from Bruce marlin of what i can deduce and spot from a kickboxing contest uh tom your thoughts on the kickboxing contest so i'm in agreement with um bob I, i've i've not seen a whole load of kickboxing um other than george Claude van damme films um and i don't think you can use those as a, as a measuring stick for proper um pro fighting um so i will only say what i saw and what i thought of what i saw i i, I was um I, I enjoyed this fight i thought it was i thought it was good it was it was um it certainly wasn't boring. Let, let, let's kick it off with that. Um, White, um, well, I would agree with Bob. I think he had the first round. Um, it was, you know, he was throwing some big kicks and jabs um, early on. Um, but Russ Marlon was coming back with, with the knees. It was a pretty fair contest until the latter stages when, yeah, I think White's, uh, his cardio started to show a little bit. Um, it's interesting that, that, that um, Russ Marlon had 17 pounds on White. Um, because I thought Bruce Marlon looked the fitter and better fighter as it went into the latter stages, and that may have been because of the damage that had been put onto White towards the end. But I thought that, that was that was interesting. Um, yeah, again, I, I, I don't really have a lot of technical stuff to say about this, but I liked a lot of the, the low kicks and the knees that were thrown. Um, uh, White's leg was pretty, his left leg was pretty fucked, but by the end you could really see him limping on it, um, and he was struggling to hold himself up on it, and. Uh, yeah, the, the, the finish that that solar plexus shot was um, nasty. It was it was it was a good finish, um, and Bruce Marlon was doing some nice fainting when when he was sort of like fainting releases. So if he was in for a clinch, he was sort of like pretending to come away from it, and then and then White would go back, but then he'd jab him as well. So it was quite it was a really I don't know if that's a common thing in kickboxing, but he was sort of pulling back and then hitting him with a jab as on the release. So I was really I liked that. Um, but yeah, the, the right man won. It was. A, Decent kickboxing fight. I, I, I've not seen too many of them, but I enjoyed this. Uh, as yeah. someone that's not seen, sorry, because someone's not seen a lot. It, 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 would, would it be fair to say kickboxing might be the most watchable of all the mix of all the martial arts? Like you know, uh, I know what depends. we what we see, what we see now is like a proper you know mix of a lot. Um, but when I when I think of, I just imagine that if you're watching like a bang average fight of each different style. The kickboxing one would be the most entertaining. Yeah, I know what you mean because if you're seeing two guys going at it and striking each other, that's never really boring because they have to strike each other, or the fight doesn't. You know, the fight gets the ref tells them to carry on and tells the you know sort of eggs them on. Yeah, seven. Well, that's true. But particularly if you if you bring in mm. uh, if you bring boxing into this equation too, which uh, yeah, really is a, a martial art, even though it never really gets 
put into that category. Um, oh, well, I think it is anyway. It, it, it did that, it did that grouping for, in my mind anyway. Well, it's um, a combat sport, yeah. And, yeah. Um, you think of boxing, like, boxing can be very, very dull. Um, but I just can't imagine a dull kickboxing fight. I'm sure what I'm sure ones exist. Uh, but anyway, I, again, I said that as someone that's probably seen like two of them, uh, three, including the one later on, the first one and divided qualification. So I'll say that. Sorry, Chris, uh, on you go. Uh, no, I didn't have too much to say. I was just free for free on not really being a uh, kickboxing uh, expert by any means. Um, I thought Van Roos Marlin looked sort of a level above white uh, inside the clinch, particularly. Um, and yeah, just highlighted the uh, knee that was pretty brutal to end the fight. Um, yeah, this was pretty good, but no, I, 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 it's funny because I do kind of agree with the sentiment you just laid out, Bob, in that, um, if you took like the complete median of every combat sport, maybe kickboxing would be the most watchable, but that doesn't necessarily, necessarily make it my favorite. And, um, I could probably do without it on an MMA show, um, for me. Um, I, I quite liked it. I, I you know, I, I don't object to a mixed martial arts show having different things on show. I know it's a, it's a weird thing from a continuity point of view, and it reminds me of that, uh, on coming back, I think it was either last year or 2016, when they had that, that some like local promoter paid Kurt Angle a load of money to have a wrestling match with Rey Mysterio. And on the same card, there was like kickboxing contests. I think Chael Sonnen was on it doing some kind of grappling match and there might have been some martial arts as well. So that's a real extreme example. But I, I don't, I don't object to a, a card having different styles. I think it's quite interesting actually. Mm, I'm with Chris. I, I, I'm with Chris. I, I, I don't like the idea of going to watch a tennis match and then, you know, when it's halfway through, they bring out a, a little t- bit of table tennis for everyone to watch for a 10 minute break. I'm there to watch the tennis, but, you know, hey ho. Um, with that, we do jump straight back over to MMA. Uh, so back to you, Bob, to introduce the two fighters. Yes, once I finish pouring out this drink. Right, let's, let's put that up. Yes, next first up, it's Vernon Tiger White. Yes, well, I had it in my hand. I couldn't really stop. Uh, <laughs> Tiger White versus Katsushi Sakuraba. White is a recruiter of Ken Sharrock, who has trained out of the Lions' den. He entered this fight with an MMA record of 11 wins, 20 losses, and one draw. He weighs in at 202 pounds. His opponent, Katsushi Sakuraba, is a wrestler now considered to be one of the greatest mixed martial artists of all time. Known as the Gracie Hunter, he enters this fight with a one-on-one MMA record, one no contest, coming off his UFC Japan tournament victory that we covered in December and he weighs in at 183 pounds so after covering uh, Sakuraba's UFC debut as you just said Bob we are here for his pride debut uh, the fight begins with Sakuraba landing a nice low kick as White pushes forward he hits a nice uh, White then follows with a nice left hand that seems to rock Sakuraba but he drops the single leg and is able to take White down into the side mount the commentators did actually mention the uh, sort of the controversy of the no contest from UFC Japan in December in that this was almost kind of similar in like White hit him with a punch. Sakuraba went for the takedown and got the like th- that's kind of exactly what happened. And big John McCarthy stepped in in, in December. Um, yeah, so uh, he got him down into side mount and looks for a Kimura, but White defended it well, popped up to his feet but was hit with another single leg takedown from Sakuraba, straight, which took him straight down again. 
White tried to escape to his feet, but was eventually forced down into half guard. White is able to roll out from the bottom and get back to his feet again, but Sakuraba is quickly able to get him down once more with another single leg for the third time in the fight. White regains the guard, but Sakuraba is able to pass into half guard and eventually into side mount, where he attempts an armbar. White stands with Sakuraba hanging off his arm and somehow escapes the submission and takes Sakuraba's back. He doesn't put his hooks in, so Sakuraba is able to roll through into side mount. Sakuraba then stands over White but quickly drops down. They're near the ropes, so the two officials enter the ring and uh, the three referees uh, drag both men back into the centre. Sakuraba passes the guard and looks for another armbar, but White is able to defend it excellently and takes the back again. White again doesn't look for the choke and instead stands and backs off. He fakes a big kick, but Sakuraba ducks under it and takes White down. Sakuraba is in full mount and then the round ends. Um, I actually had no idea there were rounds in this fight. Uh, there weren't any in the opener, and it, was, it wasn't mentioned by the commentators that there were. The second round uh, opens. Uh, Chris, is a discussion between rounds on this one? I know we definitely won't for the, the, for the, for the next one. Um, I've got a fair bit to say about that. Sure, feel free. Uh, with you then, Bob. Yes. Um, well, first of all, it's very strange to hear. I think it was Baz Rutten who said, we don't know a lot about Sakuraba. That's a really weird thing to say. Uh, not, not, not a really weird thing to hear, sorry, knowing what uh, Sakuraba will, will go on to become. Um, White had a fantastic opportunity to win this match. Um, he had Sakuraba's back. Uh, he went for the choke, and I, I think Rutten explained it as he didn't tie up Sakuraba's legs, which gave him the, the leverage to be able to roll out of it. Um, but that was a great spot. Um, and yes, I'll go on to some of the other observations in later rounds, but the uh, I think it was uh, White's quarterback at one point towards the end of the round just goes, quit fucking around! Um, in, in presumably a less southwest English accent, um, that we, we picked heard on commentary, so, or heard over the uh, audio feed, so there's that as well. But yes, I, I thought White had a very good chance of, of handing, uh, Sakurabri's first MMA defeat, and he missed it. Uh, Tom, with you, your thoughts in the opening round? Yes, this was a, a, a weird, um, round of, of, of MMA combat. I, there, there were a couple of, of points, um, a couple of times that Rob's, um, Rob, Bob has alluded to where this could have been, um, ended quite quickly, but it, it, it was strange. Like that, that towards the end of the round, White had Sakuraba's back. And when you, when you've got someone's back, that's, you know, that's, that's a, that's as good a time as any as you'll have to end a fight. He hit him once and then they got up. And that was it. Like he had him for a good 10, 15 seconds. He just, he, he just laid there. And uh, it's, it was really frustrating to, 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 to watch. Um, I think White, there was, there was a section where White almost, almost dragged him around like a rag doll, like where, where he, he was just trying to avoid Sakuraba putting in the arm lock or the, the arm bar. Cause that's, that's why, that's what he was looking for for the majority of the fight. And I think that's the only game plan he has at this point. Um, you know, there were lots of, uh, good positions and good chances for White to, do more than he did i mean you know pancrase is something that got mentioned a lot in the in the build for this and during the round as well and i, I am no expert on pancrase but my my observation is that there's it's it's again with with jiu-jitsu as well a lot of it is, is is as much defense as it is offense um and that was the case here i think very little was thrown in terms of strikes but um there were lots of opportunities for for the fight to have been taken further than it was so um a frustrating first round. 
I quite enjoyed this round, didn't it? It was really unusual in that, like, White actually took his back twice. Um, both times seemed like he didn't really know how to progress from there. When kind of like that's that's that should be checkmate. Um, and Sakuraba as well, like, he'd get a takedown. Um, work for an armbar, which was like all he was interested in, or some sort of wrist lock or Kimura, whatever it was. Just work for the arm, work for the arm. He'd leave an opportunity. White would pop out, back to his feet. Okay, take you down at will, back on the ground. Work for the armbar, work for the armbar. Like, they were both so sort of, like, good in some ways. Like, White was able to escape from the bottom repeatedly. Um, but when he got in an excellent offensive position, useless. Sakuraba was able to take him down at will. Um, but when it came to working for the armbar, he was too focused in on that one finish almost like it was like it was a like the professional wrestling mindset like he knows his finish is some sort of arm block and that, by god that's how he's going to finish the fight like it didn't matter what else was available to him he was focused in on that but and, and both men sort of showed real flaws but were both obviously very competent um it was quite an entertaining round the second opens slowly until sakuraba gets another takedown into side mount before passing quickly into full mount uh, Sakuraba looks for another armbar, but White is able to defend it again, and again takes the back, and again fails to get any hooks in. White lands some nice punches to the side of the head before looking for the choke finally, but Sakuraba is able to reverse and take top position again. White is able to pop back to his feet from the guard again. Sakuraba goes for what would become a trademark move of his, a Kimura, dropping down and rolling for it, but White is able to slip free and stand but Sakuraba still holds onto the arm and they end up sort of twisted in the mat. The commentators call this sort of a, pre a pretzel position. Uh, White gets another reversal and take the back, takes Sakuraba's back again. Before Sakuraba avoids the choke and is able to get back on top in the guard. Uh, White rolls and gives his back up, but Sakuraba looks for the arm rather than the choke. So White is able to avoid the situation, reverses it and takes Sakuraba's back again. Sakuraba rolls through and attempts another takedown, uh, uh, which White blocks with something akin to a neck crank. He gives up the, uh, the submission attempt and hits some knees to the body from a front face lock position. And Sakuraba tries for another Kimura, but White spins out of it. Sakuraba gets another beautiful takedown into half guard and quickly takes the full mount. White is able to escape again and take Sakuraba's back again, looking for the choke. But the bell actually sounds there to end the round. Uh, Tom, I'll come to you first on this one. What did you make of the second round? These guys are both um, talented at what, uh, what they're doing, um, and they're both creating lots of nice opportunities. It's a bit like, sorry to use loads of football analysis, but it's a bit like watching Arsenal sometimes. You think we've got loads of chances to score, and we're very good at playing the game, but when it comes to actually putting the ball in the net, we don't really seem to know what to do. And I don't know, felt... Tom, we, we, we say this a day removed from Spurs absolutely paddling Arsenal 1-0 yesterday, just for just for historical context. It's got nothing to do with what I just said, um, but thanks anyway. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it, I think that this was, a, again, it's not a bad fight, this. It's really not a bad fight, but it's, it, I found it very frustrating because... Sakamura just doesn't seem to, uh, sorry, Sak Sakuraba doesn't seem to have the know-how or the, the decision-making or the skills to finish the fight. He never at one point puts anything in where you think, oh, this could be the end of it. 
but he has he had three or four opportunities where he could have could have put a, lot, a, a choke in or uh, he, he was trying for that arm by. He, he did that great roll sequence that Chris mentioned too, where, where he had the arm by and, and White got out of it. White's defense was good. He was doing some good scramb- um, sprawling on, on uh, when the takedowns um, were being thrown at him. Um, he took his back White and didn't, just didn't know what to do with it. I, 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 this is my general theme for this whole fight. I found it very frustrating because there was some good technical prowess on show, but just no finishing, um, uh, finishing touches where they were needed. No, no, no sort of willingness or, or ability seemingly to finish it. Bob, your thoughts on the second round? Yeah, a little bit of an extension of what you guys finished discussing at the end of round one. This is a very weird fight, um, in the sense that it, it, you, you watch it and you kind of feel like they, they both agreed a very specific set of rules ahead of the fight. But they both kind of had this kind of agreement that we're only going to win it if one of us gets caught in like an arm lock or a leg lock. And so they fought very much like that. Um, it's very competitive, but it's just a weird fight to watch. As in like, as I said, I kind of felt like they were fighting this on their own set of rules. As in there were opportunities like, well, you could hit him here or you could do something there. And it's almost like they, they both had this mutual agreement that they weren't going to pursue those opportunities. But what it left us with, like under the, the rules, the, the unspoken bits they seem to be fighting on, it left us with a, a technically very interesting fight with lots of like attempts at holds and counters of those things and guys rolling out one way or another um yeah so an interesting round but but a weird set of circumstances that that they seem to be fighting under yeah i mean i i I kind of enjoyed it um still Uh, i I agree it was frustrating but by this point it it felt almost like a gimmick to me like like i I don't know I, i kind of saw some comedy value in the like they were both so competent in what they were doing and the transitions, the reversals, rolling out of things, rolling into things, getting a position. But like the lack of sort of finish, finishing prowess, if you will, was just like, it was almost comical. I think the amount of times I must have used the word again in my uh, description of that second round was uh, pretty outstanding, I'd have to say. Um, and it was because they were just sort of repeating transitions over and over again. Um, and I thought it was quite entertaining, really. Into the third round. Um, excuse me. Into the third round, and they exchange kicks to open before Sakuraba gets a, another single leg takedown into the guard. He passes all the way into full mount, lands some nice punches as White covers up. Sakuraba gets his legs really high, as if he's looking for an armbar again. But, w- but because of this, White is able to escape, um, and he again takes Sakuraba's back. White lands a few hammer fists from the top, but still doesn't bother attempting to hook the legs and get his hooks in. Um, White then uh, switches and tries for a face crank, but Sakuraba easily avoids it and rolls through into a north-south position. White scrambles, but Sakuraba grabs the arm and looks for a Kimura. White rolls through, but Sakuraba keeps hold of the arms with both his legs in a great position. White tries to roll again, but this time falls straight into the armbar, which Sakuraba straightens and picks up a submission victory after 6 minutes and 53 seconds of the third round. Uh, Bob, thoughts on the third round and, and I guess generally this fight? Yeah, n- nothing greatly extra that came from the third round. It, it, it kind of played out a lot like the first two did. Um, interesting that, you know, we talk about Rutten and Quadros kind of, you know, just 
say whatever the hell they liked um talking about the, the the general public maybe not be able to understand this match i kind of know what they were on about um but yes it, it almost came as a bit of a surprise like you'd watch them for two and a half rounds just happily kind of going along and as i say it was an interesting fight but it never looked like one or the other got the opening and then almost from without really any kind of warning sakuraba just got into an armbar position and submitted white um uh, 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 an interesting fight not not the not the stuff you'll see every day um but an interesting fight well fought and uh, the right guy won uh tell me your thoughts on the third round and the fight generally yes i thought um the third round was was again uh decent interesting enough um there was uh, sakuraba was letting the, the the kicks go at the start of the round and, and there was another quick, quick takedown so it, it felt in the mould of the rounds that came before it. I, I think, really, I, I, I really did think this could go either way. and that There was no clear winner for me um, at this point. I, I really didn't think that it, it was going to go one way or the other. And in a way, I guess that's good because if you if you if you don't if it doesn't if you don't see it going one way, sometimes it's just a case of inevitably the tree's going to fall. It's just a case of how long does it take to get to hit the ground. But this wasn't like that. Um, and it, I really would like to make a point of that that roll escape that um, White pulled off. Uh, to get out of that armbar, that was a really beautiful transition, and that was that was really I was really impressed with that actually. Um, just to just to, just to see him do it, uh, that was very good. Um, yeah, and White for probably I reckon the seventh time took his back, and Sakuraba escaped. Uh, it, it was it was ridiculous, really. I mean, it's one of those things you could, you could look back on as a, as a trainer if you're White's trainer and you go right. You had this probably seven or eight times. You only need it once in order to, you know, put, try something to end the fight. He had so many opportunities. So in a way, I think it's right. The Sakuraba won. He was more impressive. It was a decent arm, textbook armbar to win the fight, really. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was all right. This fight was all right. But I just, I just, it shows how the sport is uh, even in the in these early stages even you know we talk about this in the UFC side of things still but there's a long way to go for MMA at this point um because there are certain fighters that still don't have enough in every aspect of their game to 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 challenge any type of fighter from any discipline they come with but also how to end a fight if it's not just uh, grabbing an arm or a leg uh, or it's you know knockout power whatever you've got you need to have a bit of everything and there's still there are still a lot of fighters at this stage that don't have enough in certain aspects and white here clearly just didn't know how to finish a fight uh, from a um um a decent position where you could put a choke in or anything like that so uh yeah it, it was it was fine it was all right it was strange like in in that white as a guy who's what had like 33 34 fights I mean, his record is terrible, but I did think he looked better than his terrible record suggested. Like, he's won 11 fights. Like, he, he, he must have some level. I'd like to know how he won those fights because he wasn't a particularly proficient striker, or at least didn't demonstrate that. Um, in throwing many strikes, he threw, threw a couple when he had Sakuraba's back, a couple of hammer fists, but standing, I mean, there was very little, if, if any. Um, and uh, so if he's putting guys away and has won 11 fights, I'd love to know how he did that. Like, what what positions was he getting people in where he was picking up submission victories or knockout victories? Or Yeah, I'm just looking up a few here. And he, he, won, a, he won three or four via heel hook submission. Um, right. Okay. But he, he knocked he people really out got, as well. He never really Head got kicks. into a position. 
to attempt a heel hook yeah. in this fight, and, and it didn't look, look for it, really. Um, I'm not really sure offensively what his game plan was in here. Sakuraba was very tunnel vision towards an arm lock of some sort. Um, and I'm not sure what White his game plan was really offensively. Um, that being said, some of the technique was excellent. Uh, some of the sort of strategy was, was terrible. Um, this was a, a, a very good in, well, not very good, but this was an entertaining grappling match, but not necessarily an entertaining fight. Um, but overall, I have to say I enjoyed this. It went nearly as long as the opener and had about, well, in, uh, an infinite amount more uh, value in it than I thought the opener did. So a uh, little bit of a spoiler here, but this fight ends up going over 50 minutes and is dreadful. So I'm not going to play by play it with the same level of detail I, I normally would or have done in, in previous fights. Um, otherwise, we'd be all day, and quite frankly, this doesn't justify it. Uh, we are underway, and... Should I do the fighter profiles, Chris? I, yeah. I, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit reluctant to jump well, in on this fight, but we, we've got to uh, we've got to make it through somehow, I suppose. Uh, yes, yes. I... The, uh, this fight is uh, Henzo Gracie against Sane Kakuta. Gracie is a six-degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and holds an MMA record of five wins, one loss and one no contest. Coming off his draw with Akira Shoji at Pride 1, he weighs in at 185 pounds. His opponent, Sane Kakuta, is a judoka who enters the fight with a 7-1 MMA record and weighs in at 200 pounds. And I don't think for the last or first time tonight, um, but this is a fight with no time limit. There were rounds... Um, but yes, this would go on as long as was required, and that is very much the case. And, and crucially, uh, we were not told that till what forty minutes in, and uh, the announcers, one of them, didn't know as well, and he was absolutely aghast when he when he heard that. Um, but yes, um, after that little blip on my behalf, we are underway in the fight. Uh, Kikuta immediately clinches. And Henzo uh, bullies him into the corner. Henzo quickly gets a takedown into the guard. Kakuta tries him up, and the action slows to a complete standstill until Kakuta eventually is able to pop out and get back to his feet. Henzo closes the distance, and Kakuta grabs a panicked clinch. Gracie lands some knees to the body in the clinch, but Kakuta is able to get a beautiful trip down into half guard. Officials pulled so think of the think of the midfield that Chelsea almost signed, Chris. That would help you a lot. With Gail Kakuta. Yes. Gail Kakuta, there we go. Gail oh, well no, he's not Gail. <laughs> Don't call him Gail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kakuta is able to get a beautiful trip down into half guard and officials pause the action to drag them into the centre of the ring. Henzo quickly gets full guard and once again the action slows to a crawl. Nothing is happening. And Quadras points out that there should be a rule which allows the referee to restart the action if there is nothing happening, but there is not. Uh, they get dragged back into the middle of the ring again, and Kakuta just lies in Henzo's guard, and that will do it for the rest of the opening round. Straight into round two, um, we haven't been told how long this fight could potentially go at this point. Kakuta comes out and throws some really amateur-looking punches. Henzo lands a nice left hand, and Kakuta clinches, but Henzo forces him into the corner. Kakuto blocks, blocks a trip attempt from Henzo, 
who changes tact and begins landing some knees to the body. They briefly bake off, but Henzo clinches again with Kakuta back to blocking trick, <laughs> trip attempts. Oh, my God. Sorry. It's all right. You've got to pronounce Mahuhuha later on, so, you know. <laughs> Henzo tries a trip... Uh, uh, oh, my God. I'm going to start again. Hen- not the whole thing. <laughs> Henzo tries a hit throw, but Kakuta powers him down and ends up in top position in the guard. The announcers are complaining again about how they should be stood out, but they won't be. They're dragged away from the ropes again to the middle. Kikuta stands up, but Henzo remains flat on his back, throwing the occasional kick. Kikuta gives up with the standing, and he dives back into the guard. Nothing much happens from here, with Kikuta just lying in the guard till the end of the round. Into the third, Kikuta sprints out, clinches, and trips Henzo down into the guard again. So we are back to square one, and the announcers are aghast. Henzo taps Kikuta with the occasional rabbit punch to the head, side of the head and the body, but nothing else is happening. Quadros and uh, Bass bemoan Kikuta's lack of a game plan. Bass at one point says he is speechless, and to be fair to him, there's absolutely nothing that could be said about the action here. There is a brief scramble where it looks like we may see a submission attempt, but nothing comes of it. Kikuta pops up, stands over Henzo again, but then quickly jumps back down into the guard. The announcers now debate the point of even having fights like these because they certainly aren't entertaining and it's not even really sport. They, uh, with uh, Kikuta still laying in the guard and we stick with that till the end of the round. Uh, we've had 30 minutes of action. Um, Bob, I'll come to you first for your uh, sort of mid-fight thoughts on... Uh, well, I say it very loosely, but your thoughts on this fight so far. Well, I was going to say bravo, Chris, for your effort, but given how much you've, you've stumbled around uh, Kakuta's name, I, uh, I'm not really sure I did that. But yeah, bravo for, for, for having the staying power with this, because this was really hard to stay focused on. Um, the, the last nine of my notes at the end of round three simply says, Kakuta has nothing when standing up and nothing on the ground either. What is he actually good at? Like, whenever they were stood up, like, there was a little bit early on, but otherwise, like, Kakuta perhaps quite rightly recognised that in a in a standing contest, he probably didn't have Gracie's match. So whenever they were stood up, his first idea was to c- close up the gap completely, get him in close, and then either keep him in close in the clinch or work him to the ground. Okay, you know, he, he's probably not the, the first or the last fighter to perhaps work out that maybe I'm better off on the floor. But given that he had a weight advantage, and I don't believe it was 15 pounds, he looked a lot bigger, although it could have just been inflation, if nothing else. Given that he had the weight advantage, you figure he would attempt to do something on the map, but he just didn't. Um, and again, the, 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 the bigger point here with this is it's, it's, Gracie's are not designed for prime time. Like they're not entertainment value is not their number one priority. Um, and so, like that, that's the thing. Like we'll, we'll jump ahead of ourselves a little bit, but like you saw the reaction when he wins later on. Like this was his. This was the game plan. If you're Henzo Gracie and you've got a a, a, a fight with no time limit, which is is probably not the first time it's happened to a Gracie. You want it to go long. So in many ways, this is the game plan. The very problem is that it's just very, very difficult to watch. 
Um, but yeah, if, if I had a criticism, it would be Kakuta because at least I can, I can tell you Gracie's doing something. It may just be wearing his opponent down. It may just be being good defensively, but I can tell you he's doing something. What the hell Kakuta's plan was, I've no idea. Tom, your thoughts on the opening 30 minutes? Yes, I would echo Bob's um, congratulations for Chris uh, getting through not only the, the first 30 minutes of this fight, but managing to pre- uh, pronounce Kikuta's name so, I, uh, so many times. My, um, my biggest congratulations of myself was not bursting into a chorus of Chikitika by ABBA when you were doing that, because I was so tempted to do it on about five occasions, and I was laughing to myself in the background. But well done, Chris. Um, uh, th- th- I, I, I really, I, I'm not going to talk about this for long because there, I would say 80% of the 30 minutes we've seen was uh, Kakuta lying on Gracie in guard. Um, Gracie, as Bob said, has a game plan. When you set the rules like this, i.e. you've got 10 minutes and you can go for as many 10 minutes as you want until it's over, Gracie will be thinking that I'm lying on my back here I can survive down here. This guy's no threat to me. I'm going to ride it out. I'm going to drain him of energy. I'm going to jab him. There were a lot of jabs thrown in the body. I mean, over the course of 30 minutes, it doesn't seem like a lot when you watch it for 30 minutes. But over the time, those jabs really do work work their way through. Um, Gracie had no intention of standing up at any point. The only time he ever did was when he had to. Uh, he's happy spending this entire fight on his back because Kikuta's got no way to, to, to threaten him when he's down there. And Gracie's game is not standing up, so why why would he do any other any other thing? So Bob's absolutely right when he says Gracie's game plan is obvious here. But what's equally as obvious is that Kakuta has no game plan. Um, certainly not when he's in that position. Uh, this is dreadful to watch. Um, I'm amazed again what we said earlier that the crowd sit through it without having a riot or falling asleep or falling into a coma uh, collectively or otherwise. Um, this is only after the third round. So we're, we're just over halfway through, but even at this point, the commentators and the viewers and the fans, and I would imagine to a point, the fighters and certainly their corners are thinking, fuck me, how much of this are we actually going to have to sit through? Um, yeah, it, it, Kikuta kept going into that. He was tripping him and kept taking him onto the, to the ground, but I couldn't work out why he didn't, have, didn't, have, didn't know what to do when he was down there. So why did he keep doing it? And I'll tell you why in my head, I'm just thinking about it. Because he, he he thought once we get down there, I'll get into a position they probably trained for. But Gracie was keeping him close and not letting him, you know, he was keeping his head pinched in. So he wasn't allowing him up to do anything with it. So when, when that was stopped, that route, he had nowhere else to go. That's all I can think of. Sorry, Bob. Uh, no, I was just going to say that, I, I, as I kind of said earlier, I think he, he took it to the ground because he thought he was more safe there. Yeah, yeah, it makes it makes, it makes good sense. But... Um, the fight is is dreadful, and if you can get through the whole thing, um, even at this point, you, you deserve you know some some sort of credit. Um, so let, let's carry on with the uh, the uh, match report, Chris. I can't wait to hear the rest of it. Uh, believe me, I can. Um, but but we, we are over halfway through. I will say that at the very least. <laughs> what I will say in the first half is like when Kikuta did have top position on the ground, he had, I, I was going to praise. I actually wrote in my notes and then deleted it. He had enough of the basics to avoid getting submitted. But actually, that's completely false. Because Gracie didn't attempt 
a submission. Like, I think you guys are being far too lenient on him here. Like, like you, you can attempt submissions from the bottom, and he, but he you, does. You don't, you don't need to in a fight where there's no time limit. Like, as I say, yeah, he doesn't need I, to. I, I, I'm jumping forward to the end, but they celebrate at the end like a massive victory because that was the game plan. There's no but, point in, in putting yourself in a risky situation in attempting to get a submission when your number one goal is to wear the guy out and beat him in hour number two. Um, okay, okay. But you are saying this with the hindsight of knowing the Gracies and knowing how they fight. We don't yeah. know anything about Kikuta. Like, for I would assume know, they know a at, bit. Yeah, but for all we know, as a viewer, at this stage in the fight, Kikuta has taken him down... And he's lying on him. And it's done nothing, right? The exact same amount that Gracie has done. So I think in terms of viewer, a viewer just watching this to, to get the analysis that, well, at least Gracie's got a plan here and just assume that Kikuta has not when he, his plan could be. Well, his plan was probably the same thing, right? Yeah, but you, 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 Gracie and far too critical of Kakuta when I think both guys are deserved of some level of criticism in that Kakuta does open up slightly more in later rounds. Kakuta was on top for what 25 minutes um you know like it's uh, isn't it kind of like a you know isn't like an unspoken idea that if you're on top you're the guy that's in the the more offensive position right if i if i'm gracie like from a pure if if, again forgetting the entertainment part there's no disagreement on that but if i'm gracie and the guy's on top of me doing nothing like fine like you know it like i'm just happy conserving energy i think if you're you're if you're in a gracie's guard like you've got enough to be worried about defensively if you're an inexperienced judoka in your first MMA fight, um, in that any punches he throws opens him up to a submission attempt, like in the position he's in. He's in a famed Gracie's guard on the on the mat, and he, he was able to get into that position. Gracie wanted him in that position, ultimately. Gracie would rather be on his back and, 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 and could work for a submission, and it, it didn't happen. I Like... I know with hindsight, you, you are you are correct in that Gracie ultimately did have a game plan and the game plan is this fight can go 24 hours, I will win it and I will outlast you and eventually submit you and it worked. But I just think Kikuta like, also could have had a game plan of that level. Like there's no evidence to the contrary is what I, I guess I'm trying to say. I don't know why. All, I'm just all I would say is Chris... All I would say is, Chris, is that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu tells you that you're as dangerous on your back as you are on in mount. And that this is a, key, a clear demonstration of if you're able to control your opponent when you're on your back in, uh, in guard, if you can control them and stop them doing anything, you, you're, 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 you've got the upper hand. And he, he did that for 90% of this fight. So if you, if you were looking at the two of them, who actually played it, you know, who was pulling the strings? It's absolutely Gracie that was pulling the strings in this fight. At this point. No, I agree. I agree with you, which is why I think he he deserves more criticism for not attempting a single submission off his back, which is like what his family and their the the, the martial art they are masters of. Sort of. But it, but is it, isn't do. the Gracie style a defensive style? Isn't that the 
you know, I, I don't know a yeah. lot about it, I'll be honest, but isn't that the, from, from what I've read and the bits I've seen, isn't that the point? Like, this is the, isn't this the Gracie 101? Like, go into a fight where there's no time limit, wear your opponent down, and then beat him in the second hour. Isn't that the, is, isn't that the, 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 if there's one story, he were going to homogenize all the different Gracie myths, legends, and actual truths into one compact argument. That's it, isn't it? Like, just wear your opponent down, don't lose, latency is a bit tired, and then pick him off. Like, I'm giving him credit because, like, his inclination wouldn't be to try and win the fight in the first 25 minutes because that's not how they do it. Like, I don't think it's a criticism when he executes his plan exactly as he probably had it. I, like, in, in your assessment of Kakuta, where you said nothing on the ground and nothing standing up, like, I thought, like, you could almost stretch. This is a stretch because I don't necessarily believe it myself. But you could interpret this of knowing the calibre of the guys. Like, not attempting a single offensive manoeuvre off your back, which is what you are a master of, in, after 30 minutes, could be could be quite cowardly, like, in a way. Like, if there not, were, no, if there not, were time not who the guy if, is. Oh, if there yeah. was round, a number, number of rounds, if there were three rounds, I'm telling you for a fact... Gracie would have tried something by this point, but there's not, so he hasn't. He's playing the rules. He's playing the game. Yeah, I mean, it's it, look, if this was a if this was a, a scored round contest, you'd probably have Kakuta ahead, very very marginally, but on the basis of one guy did nothing and no, one guy know. basically did nothing. You, well, it'd be close. I need to did anything. Gracie, well, Gracie was digging him in the ribs quite a bit. That's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, like that's the thing. It, it, Tom's right. If there is a time limit, if there is a, a limit on the end, then yeah. But when there's not, that's the method. This is um, also I, can't the believe, same... I can't believe we've got so much discussion out these first three rounds, but there <laughs> we is, are. This is also the same Gracie that did go to a 30-minute draw in and, and never looked like finishing the fight on the first Pride show. So I don't necessarily agree that if this was timed, he would have done something because he didn't. Like True. Can't um, agree with that. Anyway, we shall move on, uh, even though I, I, I'm trying to do everything I can to possibly avoid talking uh, more about the rest of this fight. But we are underway in the fourth. Tika Tika, you off. and I know. <laughs> Barsas Quadros, uh, how many rounds we have scheduled, and after an awkward pause, we are told it is in fact unlimited, and the fight will continue until we have a winner. There is a takedown attempt block and they clinch against the ropes. Kikuta gets another tripped takedown into Henzo's guard and to my complete shock actually throws and lands a punch from the top. This isn't a consistent change to his game plan or the pattern of the fight and we are back to Kikuta laying on top. This is comfortably one of the worst fights I've ever seen. Uh, Quadra said this fight would be better if it didn't have unlimited rounds, as it would have forced the guys to try and win the thing within a specified time limit, which isn't necessarily true after Gracie's performance at the last Pride show. Uh, the ref calls for the action to be stood up for some reason, but it's apparently because Kakuta threw a punch to the back of the head. The announcers bury this and say, he's not exactly Mike Tyson, he's not going to hurt someone. Kakuta lands a good leg kick standing and we get the very, very occasional miss strike from here to the end of the round. There's, a great, the li- there's a great line in this bit where uh, I think Quadros says, what's the longest fight in history? And Basra just goes, well, me and my ex- ex-wife had a few. Um, you know, <laughs> that was uh, that was a good summation. Of, you know, this fight more than any other really was just at times just Quadros and Rotten just chatting. 
Into the fifth round, Kokota immediately charges into the clinch again with Henzo forcing him back against the ropes. Henzo is able to work for a standing guillotine choke but can't get it locked on, so instead lands some knees to the face. Henzo keeps hold of the neck and pulls guard, but Kikuta is able to pop out and resumes laying on top of Enzo. This is about two minutes into the round, and I'm not exaggerating when I say almost nothing of note happens from here till the end of the fifth. Uh, it is complete garbage, I have in fact written. Uh, Bass says, if this took place in Holland, the crowd would have torn the building down by now. Quadros says, why would anyone here want to buy a ticket for the next show? And as the round come to the, comes to a close, he actually asks... What is the point? They come up for the sixth. Kakuta misses a leg kick before the action is paused to fix some tape on his glove. They restart and Kakuta charges in for the takedown and Henzo is able to grab his neck for a guillotine attempt. He appalls guard, locks in the submission and mercifully Kakuta submits after 43 seconds of the sixth round. Henzo actually quite arrogantly and didn't really endear himself to me here. He holds onto the choke deliberately for too long, snarling and smiling in the official in the official's face as he tried to break it up as Kakuta was tapping. Uh, Tom, I come to you first. Thoughts on the second half of this fight, the finish, and the whole big mess. Tape, tape, sixth fucking round. We're fifty. 50- four whatever fucking minutes into this and they stop the fight to fix tape i was about to kick my tv right through the wall i couldn't believe it um uh, i i struggled to analyze the map the, the, the fight itself because once it had finished the celebration the way it finished like you said chris the way that gracie held that held that hold in and the celebration afterwards was like he'd won the fucking olympics and ah uh, i, I this is just dreadful, dreadful sport, dreadful for the, for the sport itself, dreadful for the people involved, dreadful for the fans watching it. And geez Louise, I mean, there's a couple of things to talk about here, other than the, the stuff we've already talked about. In the, in the fifth round, there was a point when Gracie and Kikuta were audibly talking to each other. Did either of you guys notice that? Yes. Yes, and I was trying to. Uh, I I really, really tried to listen to what they were saying because they were saying it very quietly, and all I could yeah, hear I, I was could, I couldn't hear them one at word all, but was yeah. forehead. One of them said forehead in one of the things he was saying to the other one. Now, why on earth would you ever need to talk to your opponent in a in, in a fight in a in a in a pro fight that's not a you know pro wrestling uh, work? Anything that's a shoot, what could you possibly have to say and say it quietly? If you're going to scream expletives at him, that's one thing. What the fuck were they saying to each other? I don't know. But that, that that was interesting. I thought, um, yeah, it it, it, it it the fourth round, they they all started all right the rounds. But I mean, that's because they were on their feet. They they all started quite well. It was a nice trip takedown from uh, Kikuta. Um, some nice jabs. Uh, they got stood up at the end where you think something's going to happen, but it was just like a, a horrible loop of some awful experience that you're being forced to to experience again and again and again. And when it finished. I, I was really surprised, actually, when it actually finished. Really surprised because I thought, good Lord, we could be here for another hour. And and this is that's the weird thing about this is it could conceivably have gone on forever, forever. And I was thinking the only way that it could absolutely, if it didn't finish through one of them finishing the other one, end is that if they passed out, one of them just keeled over. And it could have gone there. And how the fuck can they sign this sort of thing off? as legal and, you know, rightful for viewers and for the people involved and everything. 
uh, a nightmare. Uh, what on earth else can you say about it? It's just the worst demonstration of mixed martial arts I have ever seen. Uh, Bob, your thoughts on the second half of this fight? Uh, yeah, not too too different to to my thoughts on the first. I mean, I, I guess like in a really really funny kind of way, I'm kind of surprised it ended as it did. Um, you know, as in, but I, I think that was the thing. Gracie on that this fight may have played out very differently had Gracie been able to get on his feet for any length of time. Um, as in. Kakuta, once he was on top, was at least in a position where he wasn't doing anything, but he could at least stop Gracie doing things. I think while they were on their feet, that that didn't really hold true. Um, and yes, I mean, it almost ended this way around earlier. We may have been spared, spared 10 minutes of it, but, but we weren't. Um, there's a great bit of audio, I may use this at the top of the show, where, where round five ends and they just go, you begin to wonder, what well, what's the point? The commentator is, what is the, what's the question? What's the point of all this? Um, yeah, I, I can't really, as I say, like, the, you know, I, I don't think Gracie holding a submission's a particularly good look. Um, I, I won't try and, you know, endorse that. Um, but to say that when I, when I talk about this being the Gracie game plan, you watch the way they celebrated when he won, and perhaps it was overdoing it given how little Kakuta did. But you watch the way they celebrated when he won is a very real suggestion that that was exactly the plan. Um, I will at least say that. But yes, this is uh, this is by like uh, this is by any standards uh, possibly the worst MMA match ever. Like I'd, I'd be surprised if you find many others in part because most MMA matches in Monday times just won't go this length. Um, you know, a, you know, a, a, a dull stand-up in USC these days will go 25 minutes if it's a championship fight. Um, you know, and even that's kind of punctuated by rounds. And if there are any long periods on the floor, they'll break them up. And you've got fighters that are not well-rounded, etc., etc. Um, this was just the perfect storm of nothingness. The the Gracie style, which is not prime time. Um, Kakuta, who, having watched him for 53 minutes, I still couldn't tell you what he was good at. Um, yeah, just a real, real terrible fight. Um, and as we say, I've, I've, you know, there's a parallel universe where this fight went 115, 120, 125, 130. Uh, there's probably a parallel universe where it went two hours. Uh, it would have gone on until someone had given up. Um, and had, you know, thank the Lord that Henzo got that submission in when he did, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, very, very difficult to find pulses from it. But as I say, I think there are mitigating circumstances around it, if nothing else. Uh, two final things from me, really. Um, I don't really have anything more to add to either of your uh, insight. I agree with largely everything you've uh, both said. Um, I, I would like to apologise to both Ken Shamrock and Dan Seven for my scathing review of their UFC 9 fight, um, which had absolutely nothing on this as far as tedium goes. And I, I, I was, in fact, wrong in, in burying that. Um, and my last note would be that uh, Dave Meltzer reported in The Observer that he actually had multiple reports that fans in the arena were generally seen to have fallen asleep. Uh, the most damning indictment of this fight is that I would have been more surprised if people hadn't. Um, I don't really want to spend any more time talking about that fight than necessary. And I think we already have. So we'll move on. And we have but ju- just, second- to, just to say to underline credit to Chris for, 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 for writing that out. 
Um, you know, <laughs> me and Tom kind of sat through it and tried, and like there are there are times when you're trying to like as I said, there are times where I'm trying to focus on what Gracie's doing, but it's very difficult to do that for more than like six sessions. Oh fuck, there's nothing going on. Uh, but yeah, credit to Chris for uh, I think at least probably concentrating a little bit more than me and Tom did, and uh, and getting that into some some shape or form that we could uh, we could talk about and listen to. Yeah, well, well done, Chris. Well, thank you, and I, I would like the record to note that I did in fact avoid stumbling on Kakuta the second half of that review. So yes, I did sort myself out near the end. Uh, What's his first yes. name? Is it Gail? Uh, I cannot remember his first name, but right. we'll, we'll stick with Gail. Um, right. <laughs> With that, we move straight into our second kickboxing contest of the evening. So, Bob, I'll throw it back to you to introduce the two fighters. Yes, Tassis Petridis versus George Randolph. Petridis is a former seven-time world kickboxing champion, weighing in at 214 pounds. His opponent, George Randolph, is a kickboxer standing at six foot seven and weighing in at 287 pounds. Uh, we're told from the off that this fight was set for five rounds. Um, again, kickboxing, not going to play-by-play the action particularly. Uh, Big George Randolph, as the commentators called him, constantly tried to push forward in the first round in order to use his sides to his advantage and clinch up. Uh, Petridis was the much quicker of the two and landed some nice combinations on the inside. As the fight went on, Petridis was able to pick Randolph apart increasingly. Um, highlights of the first were probably Randolph landing a few flailing punches in the clinch. And ultimately, he probably took that round. Um, Petridis had the better of the second round. He hit a few nice overhand punches connected with some low kicks before capping off the round with a powerful short right, which Big George took the shots well to his credit, but he did seem to have tired massively as we headed into the third. In the third, Big George was completely passive. Um, he, as opposed to the initial pressing he did in the opening round, he looked pretty spent and Petridis was able to stand off, pick his spots and land some nice shots. In the fourth, Petridis landed a huge right hand and an uppercut to the body, which really hurt Randolph, but the big man did not go down. Um, Petridis hit a right high kick and followed up with some shots against the ropes, but George again stood through it and stood through into the fifth. The fifth round was a pretty sloppy brawl. Uh, both men looked tired. Um, when I say brawl, is very loose um, in that not a lot of shots were landed. It was very sloppy, but both men did sort of throw more wildly in this one, but uh, without connecting much. Uh, they did grind through, and both men made it the full five rounds. The judges awarded this contest rightfully to Tassis Pedridis. Uh, Bob, I'll come to you first. What are your thoughts on the second kickboxing contest of the night? Uh, I mean, anything would have been better following what we just watched. Um, but this was quite enjoyable. Um, two guys that, again, maybe it's just kickboxing or maybe it's the two guys in gold. I haven't seen enough of it to particularly tell the difference. Uh, but this was quite a, I would call it a wild fight and it wasn't like entertainment from, from bell to bell, but it was like both guys look threatening. Both guys looked like they had weaknesses. Both guys looked like they could damage the other any time. It was a fight that kind of played out like that. Very, very even. Both guys that looked raw. Uh, when you read their profiles, I, I suspect that's not the case. But again, to the untrained eye. 
Um, and just an interesting back and forth, as I say, quite like watching kickboxing because there's, you know, they're generally on their feet, which again is an antithesis of what we've seen earlier. Um, both guys look dangerous and it wasn't a fight that ever looked like it was going to end with a bang bang, but it kind of looked like a fight that was going to end with one guy just finally giving up as it was that didn't happen um but you saw both guys visibly tired i think that played that showed us the fight played out um that petridis was was the you know, got to avoid calling him petridish i suppose but he was the, the 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 rightful winner um and i think with a bit more time he would have finished the job off because randolph was really struggling down the stretch uh tom your thoughts on this fight Yes, this was a good fight. I liked this. Um, this was my this was my uh, preferred uh, kickboxing fight of the two that we had on the card. Um, it should not be understated the the difference in size between uh, Petri Dish <laughs> and um, uh, Randolph going into this. Randolph had seventy three pounds on Petri Dish, and he also had height on him as well. Uh, so it was a real. The commentators actually said it at one point. It was a real David and Goliath setup, and it reminded me of the um, some of the early UFC. Uh, cards that we reviewed um, and again it demonstrated that on paper when you look at the stats you look at the two of them next up to each other and you say well clearly this is only going to go one way but when you've got a game plan when you've got skill when you've got patience when you've got control uh, composure etc uh, you can ride out a win he uh, Petridis landed more strikes he was much smarter with his offense there were many times when uh, Randolph flew in and tried to punch, but it was a bit wild. Um, he got tired more. more he got he, he got a bit of a second wind as it went on, um, but it was never very accurate what he was doing. Uh, he clearly just thought, I'm the bigger guy. I'm going to muscle my way through this and, and, and beat him down. Um, Petrodez had some really nice leg kicks that he was putting in throughout. And again, I mentioned earlier the chopping the tree um, uh Algorithm is that the right word? No, that's the right word. Is that kind of analogy? Anyway, when when you chop allergy, that's the one. God, that that previous match has killed my brain cells. About two hundred of the two hundred and two I had. So um, well, you did just say allergy yeah, as well, which is a, we had an allergy to the previous match. Analogy is I think that was the word you were looking for. Analogy. I, I thought you said <laughs> an allergy. Right. Okay. Um, I like you, know, you thought I'm I said an allergy and thought it was right. Listen, that, Rob, that, that, I'm struggling that, 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 to stay that, awake now. Weird things to our heads, let's say that. Christ, God knows how I'm going to go back to work tomorrow. Um, but yeah, no, back on point, um, Randolph uh, uses energy up too quickly. He, It was always a case of how long is he going to last for me. It was it, it was it was dropping the tree. Those leg kicks were really wearing him down towards the late, the late stages. In round five, he, Randolph was physically uh, and visibly limping. Um, around the ring. Uh, good strategy from Petrodis, but again, he was a little bit wild and he could have been a little bit more accurate, but I think when you get into the fifth round, he was tired as well, as you guys alluded to. Uh, there was a nice spinning heel kick that he tried at the end, just as a bit, I think it was a bit of a show off thing as much as anything. Um, and there was that right knee to the, to, to, to the nads, uh, at the end, which I really hate seeing. Um, luckily it wasn't the impact that it could have been. But it was a bit symbolic of the fight that Randolph had 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 fought. Um, there wasn't really a lot else that he could bring to the table other than just wild. I'm coming at you, and hopefully I'll hit you eventually. Um, but no, it, it, this this was a good fight, and it was a good demonstration, as Bob said, of kickboxing and how high energy and how high octane it is, and how it's very difficult to get bored um, 
watching kickboxing, especially considering what came before it, which was, I mean, it, it put me on the brink of looking for a gun. And yeah, um, not for the point of shooting someone else. So yes, this was a good kickboxing fight. Yeah, I agree with both of you. Um, I thought this was superior to the first kickboxing match. Um, you listed off uh, some credentials that Petridis had over Big George Randolph. Um, one that I would add to that list, Tom, is cardio. And that did show late in the fight. Um, but to his credit, Big George, able to take a lot of punishment and took some good shots and, and didn't go down, which is to his credit. Um, and yeah, this was a fun fight. Not too much more to add from me. And with that, we go back straight into the MMA and over to you, Bob, for the fighter introductions. Yes. Um, as I say, I think from uh, when you look at the card, and we probably all looked at this card before we watched this show, this was the... This was the this was the match that jumped out. Uh, we haven't seen Marco Huha, I think, since was it was it just Ultimate Ultimate or did we see him once since uh, in '95? I can't remember if we've seen him since then. I'll look. Uh, at, uh, the, the last time was Ultimate '95 because that closes off a year, I think. So that's yeah. the last time we saw him. Let me just double check that because we speak about guys chopping down trees. That was the, it was the, the Varlins fight. Oh, that's right. Yeah. We saw him at USC seven and then we saw him at ultimate, ultimate three yeah. months later. And it was the Varlins fight in the, in the, the main event of USC seven where Varlins kind of, you know, that went 13 minutes and down the stretch it was, it was who are basically just, we talk about chopping down a tree. It was just hitting leg kick, leg kick, leg kick. Um, and eventually he just, smashed him with a, another leg kick and Varlin's leg buckled and at that point he was just completely open uh, AS, anyway that uh, that side bar aside, our, our semi made is Marco Huha versus Gary Goodridge Marco, king of the streets, who are apparently as we were told on commentary called king of the streets because that's what the translation of Huha is is a Brazilian submission fighter and USC 7 tournament champion, last seen on this podcast in the USC Ultimate Ultimate 1995, if I read the uh, if I read the notes before I read before I read them out then I'd probably know that or I'd have to ask the question he <laughs> entered with an MA record of 7 wins, 1 loss and 2 draws and weighed in at 210 pounds his opponent Gary Big Daddy Goodridge enters this fight with a 7-5 and five MMA record, coming off of the brutal knockout, and we haven't taped it yet but I've got a feeling that will win the knockout of the year for 1997 of Oleg Taktorov at the first Pride show, he weighed in at 240 pounds uh, yeah, as you uh, say, this is the battle of two MMA uh, podcast favourites here in Marco and Goodridge. Um, sidebar again, that UFC 7 where we saw Marco win the tournament was the very first MMA podcast we did. Um, yes, a little bit, 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 bit of trivia. Yes, um, we are underway. How Goodridge comes out. <laughs> Goodridge More comes interested out in the fight earlier. I'll say that. <laughs> no, Sorry, Chris. That sounded sarcastic. It was interesting. We'll, 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 uh, we'll sort of cut you off there, Chris. Start over. No problem. Uh, underway, Goodridge comes out swinging, as he often does. Marco firing back with a spinning back fist attempt of his own. Marco looks for the takedown attempt, but Goodridge prevents it and hits a knee to the body to break away. Goodridge keeps up the pressure with punches that have no real technique behind them, but absolutely enormous power, and Marco tries another takedown attempt to avoid them. But Goodridge is able to get on top in half guard. Marco has a badly cut, uh, sorry, a bad cut over his left eye, and Goodridge takes advantage by posturing up and firing off some hard shots. Marco manages to scramble back to full guard as the pace of the action begins to slow with Goodridge tiring. Goodridge 
has become a lot more conservative with his striking and instead works to pass the guard. He's eventually able to pass into half guard, which actually really surprised me. But uh, Marco regains some composure on the bottom. And uh, after the barrage of fists from Goodridge has slowed to a halt, Goodridge decides to stand out of the guard. Good, yeah, so sorry, he sta- stands out of the guard and the action restarts standing after he lets Marco back up to his feet. Marco circles away from Goodridge, he gradu- gradually presses forward and finally corners Marco. In rushing in, Goodridge's legs seem to buckle from underneath him and Marco takes full advantage by landing a beautiful right hand. Goodridge uses an insane amount of strength to force Marco down to the ground, but Marco is able to grab a leg go for the heel hook, which he struggles for for a while, but eventually locks in for submission victory after nine minutes and nine seconds. Tom, come to you first on the battle of the podcast favourites. What did you make of this contest? I really enjoyed it. And uh, that's not just to say that I enjoyed it because of who they are and because of how much we've talked about them in the past. When you compare this to the other fights on the card, uh, this one lasted nine minutes, but it was nine minutes of action. And Marco Didn't feel like nine minutes at all. This is no, it really didn't. It really didn't. It, I, I, it, it flew by. Um, and, you know, these guys, Gary Goodridge is, is, he's a bit, he's a bit one-sided in that he's, he's dangerous with his hands. And my God, his hands are quick. He threw a couple of hands at the start and they flew past, um, Marco's head. Um, but, you know, that big right overhand landed only probably a minute or two in, cut Ruas straight open. Um, and he was bleeding from that. It was a little bit wild from Goodridge, but I think he was basically making a statement of saying, I'm, I'm trying to knock you out. Uh, it didn't last, unfortunately. And then it, it, the first couple of minutes were really when Goodridge was dangerous. After that, Pruas was pretty much in control. Um, he, you know, during the, during the ground and power that Goodridge was trying to land, and he did land a few when he was in full mount. Pruas had it, had it controlled. Um, he was keeping his head up, which makes it hard to, to strike someone when, when you're in, when you're in full mount. It makes those, makes that ground and pounder that little bit harder because he was pinning him in. And even when he was down on his back, he was pinning Goodridge's right hand to, to his own chest, um, to realize his chest. So it was like, it's a very frustrating fight for, for, for Goodridge. And when someone's smaller than you, he's got better cardio. He's better on the ground. All you really want to do in that position is just smack, smack the shit out of him. And he wouldn't let him. Um, and it was an interesting game plan from Huaz because when he was down on the right there and, and he was landing the odd jab, he actually at one point literally slapped Goodridge in the side of the face. And when he first slapped him, I thought, oh, he's doing it to wind him up. But then the, com- the commentators, I think it was Baz, said, no, he's, he, he hit him in the ear. And, and, and it was basically just to, to ring his ear and to disorientate him a little bit. And that's a really good idea. I, know, I, know, I, don't, I don't recall seeing that before. It was a physical slap and you heard it. Um, I just thought he was slapping him to wind him up, which would have been equally as uh, equally as good. But um, yeah, and then Goodridge trying that leg lock. I thought oh, that that's a sign that he's got nowhere else to go, uh, and you do not want to be trying to put Huas in a in a leg lock um, in, in that position. And then when they both stood up, I was really surprised when because because Goodridge stood up, and I thought, well, this is going to be like earlier, where you know with with the uh, the Gracies, Huas is just going to sit there. But no, he got up. And that's a sign that, you know, Marco is a guy that wants to fight. He likes to throw down and he is a guy that should be, should, should be commended for the way he fights. And, you know, we well, talked a lot Goodridge, about how... Goodridge let him up, right? I mean, there, was a, there was a point where Huar was on his back, Goodridge was on his feet, and he was trying to work a way in. And then about five, ten seconds went by and he just went, 
Yeah, all right. So he just t- took a few steps back and let Hua to his feet. I-, I wasn't surprised by that in the sense that... I Sorry, I'll cut you off before I finish. I'll, I'll let you back in in a sec. But just in the sense that I kind of felt like Goodridge had expended a lot of his energy on the floor and hadn't really got anywhere, despite Hua's face not looking particularly great. Um, and I think he went, well, shit, if we stay down here, I'm going to lose. If I'm getting back to the feet, I might be able to dominate him. But that does come from Goodridge being a quite a, a literally and probably metaphorically top-heavy fighter. Uh, but go on, Tom, carry on. Yeah, sure. So so maybe I didn't make it clear in what I was saying. I, I, I'm not at all surprised in the fact that Goodridge st- stood back and said, no, let's, let's do this on the feet. That makes perfect sense. What I was surprised at in comparison to the Gracies that we saw earlier, because there were opportunities for them to stand when they, when they could, and they just laid there saying, no, I, I'm on my back. I'm going nowhere. Who has actually stood up? And he said, right, right yeah, see, let's do it yeah. on the feet. That's, that's what I was getting well, at. Well, there's, um, there's no, there's, if, once Goodridge backs off, there's no point in who well, staying on his back, I suppose, is there? That was a, that was a sign. Well, to one of the yeah, did it earlier. They did the exact same thing. They just laid there and it was like, who's, I can't remember which one it was, but there was a point when they laid on his back and it's like, well, who's going to go then? But yeah, but, anyway, anyway, so, so, um, yeah. And then, and then, yeah, it, the, the end, the end, this was a good fight. This was really, I really, really enjoyed this because at the end, you saw, I don't know what happened with Goodridge's leg, um, but he went to the corner and it, his leg just went. But then soon after that, he seemed to steady himself again. So I think maybe his knee just buckled, but it wasn't to the point where he actually pulled anything or separated a joint or anything like that. He just, it just, his, his leg went. Um, and in that moment, he, he sort of panics a bit. And as Chris said, he just, he just hoisted, um, Huas up and dropped him on his back. It was really impressive. But then as soon as Huas hit the ground, he thought, right, what can I do here? And he got his leg. He got his left leg and his eyes. It was like a, like a predator thing. He immediately locked on his leg, grabbed it. And from there on, um, it, it was only going to end one way. And it ended with that heel lock. And, you know, Marco, who has rightfully got the win. Um, this was a really good demonstration of, uh, I really, I really liked this fight. It was, was really good. I'm not, I don't really have a lot else to say, but uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, Bob, over to you. Yeah, um, it wasn't worth sifting through two grossy fights to get here, but I, I think one of the reasons I was keen to do the Pride stuff when we started was I think as we've done the as we've done the USC shows over the last couple of years, there were certain I wouldn't necessarily call them dream fights because I don't think Goodridge is the first name that we'd necessarily have on on the block opposite who are. Um, but certain names that we saw in the USC in early days, then for whatever reason, we just don't anymore. Um, and, you know, a lot of it's financial amongst other things. Um, but who are was probably top of that list of guys that we didn't, after 1995, we don't get to see in USC again, that I thought, right, we got the opportunity to use some pride. You know, I, I probably wasn't anticipating a, a 53-minute snoozer, but if we got the opportunity to use some pride, we should get to see, like, MMA from a, a different part of the world, but also we should get to see some names. We had Goodridge and Taktarov in the last, uh, in the last uh, on the last show that was interesting in another way, certainly for the finish. Um, this was a... This was probably the only fight that really felt like it belonged. As in, I, I think if you were if you were putting together a supercard of, of fights that we'd seen over this last couple of years, this is the only one that we'd have in this kind of discussion over the course of this show. Um, Goodridge looked good early on. I mean, that's the thing we've seen him before, and he, he always he's always felt just like one building block short of being the complete package and this felt like that again um as in like 
He looked good early doors, looked good on his feet, which was a surprise because I thought who are, you know, admittedly the, the bits we've seen of who are, there was very little. Um, you know, I think we've seen one loss of him beforehand, and that was a decision, uh, against Oleg Taktorov, a guy who Guru's just beaten, funnily enough. And, and, and who are probably didn't look that good on, on his feet. And he didn't look that good on the deck either. Um, but I think that once Goodridge had got through that early blast on the floor, once he kept throwing and, and, and Ua looked vulnerable but never looked in a lot of trouble, um, he finally was able to kind of find some 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 uh, movement, some momentum on the mat. Um, and yes, I, I think it was significant when one Goodridge kind of worked out that there was no more he could do in that position on the ground. And I think the significant moment in the fight was when he let Ua up. Um, it was probably an, an admission that he didn't think he could beat him on the floor. Um, and then, yeah, it was a... I don't know whether his leg went or whether he slipped or something or other, but it was kind of like the the Valian's leg buckle in a sense. He kind of fell into it. Um, a very, Not a great fight, but an interesting fight involving two guys that we know very much enjoyed it. Yeah, I think both of you <laughs> had a lot to say about that fight, and it's indicative of the quality of it as compared to the rest of the card. It, it it was a good fight, not a great one, as you'd said, Bob. Um, but, like, both guys active the whole time, momentum shifts. Um, Goodridge is pretty wild in there, and, like, some of the shots he threw at the start, just completely wild, no technique, but enormous power. And if you're Marco, you know, if you get hit with one of them, you're in big trouble. I'd have loved to know how this fight would have played out had Goodrich's leg not buckled in the way it did. And it, very similar to the Varlins, um chopping down we saw at UFC 7. But again, it, was, it wasn't really because of anything Marco had done. It was I, d- I don't know what it was, but if, if his leg had not buckled, I wonder how this fight would have gone. Because his downfall was sort of like his desperation to recover from that moment, momentary slip left himself open for the submission that cost him the fight. Um, I really enjoy watching both these guys fight. And um, as we're about to see with a guy who's fighting in the main event of this show, um, I'm glad we are doing the pride stuff to keep up with the careers of these guys who might not. And in the case of Mark Kerr in the main event, will never fight in the UFC again. Um, And we can still track their careers through the evolution of pride and this is something that's really worthwhile in my opinion i enjoyed this fight um yeah and marco is a is a different animal he's, he's one of the most insane fighters we've come across uh since we started covering mma on the show and he does, that he does come back later this year as well uh he loses that one actually so we'll uh we'll, we'll see how that goes on on, on pride uh he's actually back in in, in usa i didn't quite realize that Marco Hua, he, he, he does oh, wow. appear in uh, he, he does appear against Maurice Smith in uh, 1999, but there we are. Okay. Yeah. Um, with that, we head into the main event of the evening. Uh, uh, Bob, would you be so kind as to introduce the uh, show closers? Wikipedia's great for this show. You just pull up a fighter and you can just see bang, 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 bang in a line. Everything is lovely. Uh, yes, the main event, Branko Kikatich versus Mark Kerr. Kikatich is a kickboxer and the oldest K1 Grand Prix champion in history. Seen here making his MMA debut. We did see him on the last show, but that was a kickboxing contest as a 
about to say. He was, he, you can tell Chris writes these notes. He was seen being disqualified for soccer kicking down, a down Ralph White in a kickboxing fight on Pride number one and weighed in at 216 pounds. His opponent, Mark Kerr, is a decorated freestyle wrestling champion entering the final with a 7-0 MMA record. He was last seen winning the USC 15 heavyweight tournament. The Smashing Machine weighed in at 255 pounds. And as I did allude to, um, I'm glad to see Mark Kerr here, considering he is someone who who never again does fight in the UFC. So keeping up his career is a different plus of covering pride, considering the entertainment he can bring in his fights. Uh, during the ring introductions, in fact, is where I first noted uh, Bass Rutten is in Mark Kerr's corner. But Bass was on commentary uh, at the same time, so he, he was speaking. So it did prove like they weren't ringside i mean you could tell that anyway but um definitively did prove that they he he didn't disappear from the commentary booth to be in the corner he was commentating while he was on screen he was speaking at the same time i don't know this Um, is certain but i suspect they would have taken the commentary a week or two later would be my assumption i I might be wrong about that but that'd be my my read on the situation would have been that have got the got the tape over to the states that have had to have got quadros and written in the same place at the same time that have got in a studio for well three and a half hours or so and then they've done it but that would have been my read i, I don't think this, I, i'm not the impression this show was was shown live or anything like that i imagine it would have been um a, an english version probably for an american audience i'm guessing for a videotape audience it's possible i don't know this either way that they would have shown this on pay-per-view at another time in the u.s um but yeah that would be my read on the situation would have been they would have taken this a fair amount later what I would like to know is, does that mean that Bass had to watch some of the Gracie fights twice? Um, well, this is what I said earlier. I suspect so. But that, I, that I suspect he like he would have had to watch through the... Yeah, he would have had to watch through the fights live and then have gone back and not only watched them again, knowing how bad they were, pretended like he didn't know how bad it was going to be. It's, it's very, very possible. What an unlucky chap. Uh, we are underway in our main event, and they circle each other without any strikes being thrown to open. Kerr shoots in for the takedown, uh, but Kikitich grabs the ropes uh, <laughs> to avoid being taken down and fires off repeated elbows to the back of Kerr's head. Referees rush in to break this up, but Branko refuses to let go of the ropes and keeps throwing elbows, which the announcers point out is very much against the rules. Kikatich does, in fact, eventually let go of the ropes. He receives a warning, and they restart the fight standing. Kurt immediately shoots in again. He drives Kikatich backwards, so Kikatich again grabs the ropes in the exact same way that he did before, before unloading with some more hideous elbows to the back of the head, neck, and down his spine, which is completely illegal. The referees swarm in again, but Kurt's had enough. Um, as he's been pulled away, he unleashes a flurry of punches, which drop Kikatich. He then boots Kikatich while he's down as three officials pull him away. Kikatich sort of rolls underneath and out of the ring and the uh, bell rings, which signals the fight having been thrown out. Uh, Bass, again, can be seen in the ring here as we hear him commentating. Uh, Kerr and Kikatich then hug it out in the ring. The decision is finally made and it is announced that Branko Kikatic has been disqualified for the second Pride show in a row and Mark Kerr is announced as the winner. Um, I'll throw all the post-fight stuff in as well before I come to either of you. The crowd are pretty pretty furious. There is actually some booing here. Mark Kerr gets on the mic. He thanks everyone for coming out and apologises for, for how the fight went and the rope grabbing. 
pretty good for him in a difficult circumstance that wasn't really anything. It, well, it by no stretch was his fault. Kikitic gets on the mic. He says he wants to fight and there will be a rematch. The crowd boo. Quadros calls this a thug versus a sportsman. And with that, the show goes off the air. Uh, Bob, I'll come to you first. What are your thoughts on our main event? I'm glad this wasn't the same length as the match earlier, because I think you'd have struggled with Kikitic's name as much as you struggled with Kakuta's earlier. Um, yeah, uh, just a weird one. Um, uh, like, you know, Kerr looked very much more confident in the bits that we saw. Um, you know, and again, Kikitic's, his kickboxing background would have made him susceptible to a guy shooting on him. Um, and so clearly they worked out a plan and the plan they worked out was if he shoots, grab the top rope. Um, not legal, but he did it. Um, and then he grabbed onto the top rope and Kerr just seemed like he was carrying on a set to the takedown. So he just took the opportunity to just smash him over the back of the neck with some shots, which wasn't particularly fair at all. Um, and then it happened again. And Branko Kikatich, I mean, I, I'd say he's making a dart at the most bizarre MMA career ever. Technically, the first one was a kickboxing contest that we saw, so that wouldn't count. Um, because that was one of his final kickboxing bouts, of which he had many. Um, but we've seen Kikatich twice. Um, both of them have ended in disqualification, which is really impressive. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have much more to say other than just what the hell's going on. Uh, for me, like, I'm a big fan of it. If we're going to have Gracie's on these shows, <laughs> then I want Branko Kikatich on there as well to just between sort of hour long fights, throw him in there, see what funky way he can get himself disqualified this time, have a bit of a laugh and we move on. Like, em- this- embrace, embrace the chaos. I'm in complete agreement. Uh, uh, Tom, your thoughts, your first uh, insight into the legend of Branko Kikatich? So I um, didn't know anything about Kikatich for the obvious reasons um, when I watched this. So I did go back or I, I did a bit of research into what his uh, previous MMA record was and looked at what happened at Pride 1. And that was with no knowledge of what happened here. So I did know that's what had previously happened going into this. So I will make three points because this fight only went for two minutes. So there isn't a whole lot to say about it. My first point is that I think it's a real crying shame that we didn't get to see more of these guys fighting uh, and actually, you know, fighting Agreed. within the rules and actually seeing actually seeing how it went down because these two guys on paper are really talented, really talented, and it's a shame, a crying shame we didn't get to see more of it. That's my but first is it point. not also possible that point, Mark Kerr would have just taken him down and beaten him on the floor? Like that, that is, that is a very likely scenario if these two would have been gone at it without Kikatich being able to use the ropes. But if that, yeah, if, but if that is how it would have played that, played out, that is how it should have played out. You know, this True. is a sport. I know, I know we like seeing chaos and we like, this is where I'm going to get on some other points, but we like seeing it. But really, ultimately, it's battle of the best here. Who's better? And it's a case of showing you're better than the person that's in front of you. And if that is how it had gone down, then that's the way it should have gone down rather than the way, the way we saw it. So se- second, second point I was going to make was it's an awful demonstration of how to go into a pro MMA or, a- or even amateur f- MMA fight, any type of uh, professional fight, um, from Kikatich. He was dirty from the start. They circled each other for a little, for about a minute, not less than that probably. Um, and I think he probably just thought to himself, I'm, I'm, I've got no game plan here. I'm in over my head. This guy looks like a beast. He looks like he wants to kill me. Um, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna batter him anyway, any way I can. 
He held onto the ropes. He elbowed him in ways that when you watch it, that even the commentator said it, it could have caused paralysis. That's the sort of thing that you watch and you go, oh my God, ow, like, oh, it, it's horrible to watch. Um, but in a chaotic sort of, oh my fucking God, what's going on here thing, it, it's quite good. But, my, you know, sticking to my point is that it's an awful demonstration of how to, how to approach a sport that you're being paid for and for people who are actually, you know, there are rules for a reason. And the third point I wanted to make is that the, the most enjoyable part of this entire show for me was watching Mark Kerr beat the shit out of him after they broke. <laughs> this went from, there's a funny point when, when you watch, when you watch MMA and you watch boxing or anything like that, it's a sport. And you watch it as a sport and it's, it's very calculated. It's very, it's very, there's a plan of action. Uh, everything's to the point, but when it turns into a fight and I mean a fight, you can really tell the difference. Mark Hurt was beating the shit out of Branko Kitovic here. And you, I mean, you could see that from the fact that when he went down, he kicked him when he was down, but it very quickly turned into a barroom brawl. And it was a bit like we talk about pro wrestling. I know because that's, that's where we come from here, but it's a bit like when you go, Oh, did that go from being a, a work into a shoot? And you, and you wonder. Um, but this really did. It, it, it went to the next level. And it, um, I, in a way, I wish that hadn't got, I, w- I wish that that could have gone on for a bit longer because I really enjoyed him putting the, putting the, the, the licks in, uh, to Kikovic. And yeah, it, it was disappointing. But from what came before it, it was a bit like one of those things where you go, do you know what? Considering we sat through the boring shit that came before it for about an hour and a half. Yeah, let's fucking throw it all to the to the wind, and let's just 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 forget the rules. Let's just go mental. I'm surprised they didn't start throwing chairs in the ring like in ECW and things like that. Um, it was a bit crazy. It was a bit. It was a big shame. Um, but Mark Kerr is is. You look at him. He looks the business. He is the business, and we'll see from what he goes on to do. He continues to be the business. Um, but I'm not really quite on board with you guys in being a support of what Kikatich was doing. I see where you're coming from, but I, I, I think it was a shame because someone like her deserves was I respect and he didn't show respect. Well, yeah, and also I would like to point out, I in no way support Branko Kikatich. I, I, I was I was embracing the chaos, but I wasn't endorsing it. My my right, whole point embrace, is, endorse, whatever. If if you if you are booking the Gracies on a show with in a fights with no time limits then also book Branko Kikatich in a fight. That's my point. Like that, you've got to have some yin and yang to it. Like he, yeah, like, but not in the main guys, event though. No, I would, I do also agree with that. Don't put him in the main event, but put him in between the Gracies and it's just different. And like in isolation here, it was a plus on a boring show. Um, this was meant to be, um, Mark Kerr and Horace Gracie. Oddly enough, this man. Yeah, event. that that uh, would have been something to see. However, it, that it would, wouldn't that have been anywhere near as chaotic and interesting. That would have very, yeah. very differently. Uh, I yeah. get the feeling Gracie might have had to have done a bit more. Um, it's Hoyce, uh, for what that's worth. I think he would have had to have done a bit more than the uh, the collective Gracie effort on this show against Mark Kerr somehow. Yep. Yeah, um, yeah so, yeah, I would say, generally speaking, like, Branko Kitatic is not, you know, again, another football analogy um, here. You get players like uh, Diego Costa had the reputation of it when he played for Chelsea. Like, he was, he was a bit of a thug, a bit of a cheat, very dirty, but he was referred to frequently as box office. Um, Branko Kikatic for me, doesn't fall into that category. Like, I, I don't find him to be box office, but I do find him alleviation to the boredom that a no-time-limit Gracie fight would bring. 
So is it, if, he's the kind of guy you pay to see lose, right? Yes, yes. He's very pro wrestling. Uh, the gimmick of coming in there, being dirty, and getting DQ'd deliberately every time you fight is is quite a pro wrestling thing. And I do think, like, while feeling very sorry for Mark Kerr, and also feeling that I wanted to see Mark Kerr smash him in on the ground, um, this was a plus to the show for me, in a roundabout way. Um, but that will uh, bring to a close um, the Pride 2 uh, pay-per-view. So with the main event in the books... It's time for your overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of 10 for the show. I'll come to you first, Bob. Uh, how the hell have we gone two hours and 10 <laughs> odd minutes, 15 odd minutes? I have no idea. Um, yeah, this is a, this is a strange show. Um, th- there's, there's a fair amount of like five or six, six and a half out of 10 stuff. I think who are on Goodridge probably breaks through that barrier. Um, but nothing exceptional. Uh, and there's, there's a, a bad long match, um, the opening one, that would have stood out on any other show as a very, very bad match, that by the time you get to the end, you kind of forget. Um, and there is an all-timer in this ma- in this show as well. Um, so it's, like, I- I'd pick individual fights from this card. Like, if you're, if you're looking back through Fight Pass and you're thinking, is this worth watching? There's a couple of things here. You know, both kickboxing bouts are worth watching. Uh, who are and Goodrich is probably too, as is the main event, just for it being a bit weird. And also, there's also the thing of Sakuraba, knowing what he goes on to become. There's probably interest in seeing that. So you kind of say that, and there's what, seven match on this card? So not that. There's a case for, I think it's eight. There's a case for about four or five of them going out your way to or, or finding time to watch if you got the time. Um, that being said, none of them were exceptional, and there is an exceptionally bad match. So I cannot give this any more than the three out of ten this show. Tom, your overall thoughts on Pride 2 and score rating out of ten? Yes, so this being my first venture into Pride, um, I can't, I get, as I said before, I can't rate it against what came before it, but rating it on its own. Um, it was more bad than good. Uh, I won't repeat what Bob said, but there are, uh, I would say, three fights that are really worth your time. I don't think there's any more than that. Um, uh, and I, I, I think that on paper, I, I, it's, it's hard to rate it because we talked about the Gracies and the Gracies did what they needed to do in order to get the win. It's not great to watch, but they played the game. So the problem for me here isn't what we saw. It's the rules of which the event was, you know, was held within. So it's hard to rate the event badly when the guys in the ring are playing the game. But you have to rate it like that because you're the one that's got to sit through an hour of, of, of two men lying on each other. So for that reason, I think that who has some Goodridge was a good fight. The, the main event is worth watching because it's chaos and just what, yeah, as I say, just enjoy Mark Kerr kicking the shit out of, for about 20 seconds um, and the kickboxing fights were good I averge between a 3 and a 4 but I think to make a point I'm going to agree with Bob it, it, it can't get more than a 3 so I'm going to go 3 out of 10 it's just such a long slog like it's not it, worth you know, it. I think you know if, if it was uh, 
if there was if it was just the middle match it'd be like okay it's just an aberration but it's the fact that you kind of got to go through the first match um you got to get through that way through that then the kind of interesting stuff starts and then you got the next one it's just very difficult to score any more higher than that yeah this is a bad show for me the, the the negatives far outweighed the positives i don't think there was a great fight on the show um Goodridge and Marco was an entertaining fight that probably meant more to us than it would do to someone coming in blind from it who hadn't necessarily seen the chronolog like the chronological fights we've seen of the respective careers and it's true. like if you um so probably we enjoyed it more than other people would. Um again Sakuraba the same. Uh, a frustrating technical grappling fight where they showed some excellent grappling prowess and some great grappling naivety in the same time for almost 30 minutes probably worth watching if you like Sakuraba and enjoy his career and want a bit of insight into his early days as a fight I'd steer clear of it um this was for me the worst show we've covered um I think I said that about pride one actually um that it might have been. So tune in for Pride Three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I think I said that for Pride One. I'm not. In, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. Um, but this was comfortably, comfortably worse than Pride One. Um, my least favorite MMA show. Um, I was between a two and a three. Just to make a point, I'm going to go for two out of ten. Um, I'm looking. But, I'm looking at the Pride Three card. Uh, there is a one four round, four ten minute rounds fight. It appears. Um, but in a six round, six fight card, three of them end in under eight minutes, uh, and the other two seem to end in under 15. Uh, so we'll, I, I don't think we're going to commit to doing every Pride show, um, but so I think we'll look at each one in turn, whether the next one's worth it or not. I'm not exactly sure. Mark Kerr's on it, Gary Goodridge's on it, but there's no big fight. I mean, I compare it to the, the Pride 4 card, which is later in the year. Um, there's, probably a bit more to that but yeah we'll we'll, we'll make that call in uh in, in june uh, if we want to do that one but yes i i know what you mean not exactly a glowing endorsement of pride that one show was perhaps the worst we've seen and the second one definitely was um to round it all off then uh both the fight of the night and your fighter of the night nominations uh tom i'll come to you first very quickly what will your two picks be Yes, so my fight of the night pick, and this is precedent, uh, you know, this, this, is, this is built up by saying that it's not a great fight, but it's the best of the bunch, is um, Cruaz versus Gary Goodridge. Um, I would also add that I think it was criminal that they didn't give uh, Big Daddy a moment of mic time, um, having seen him commit some classic... Uh, wordery on the mic before with his sunglasses and without his sunglasses I thought that was an insult so I, I'd have given him an extra point for that to be fair um, but uh, that was my fight of the night and my MVP so my man of the night, my fighter of the night I am going to pick um, Tassis Petridis because I felt that he had the biggest challenge uh, presented to him, he had the best game plan, he was the most composed and he wasn't boring to watch. So it was either going to be him or Huaz, but I'm always saying how good and how much I love watching Marco Huaz. So, yeah, I'm going to give it to uh, Petri Dish. <laughs> he's, um, not, he's not actually called Petri Dish, but there we are. <laughs> uh, my, uh, Is he not? Oh, no, it's Petri Dish. There's no H. That was a joke. 
Yes. But anyway, yes, I, anyway know, I know. There we are. I, I was being sarcastic. The commentators were calling him something else. I don't know quite what. Anyway, what that's worth. Uh, fight of the night, yes. Uh, who are and Goodridge? Uh, it's it's the only fight that stands up. You know, it, it, it wouldn't win anything in awards front compared to stuff we've seen before, but it stands up. And I think, as Chris alluded to, we we probably do endorse that a bit more because of what we know about each guy. Um, I'll be a little bit boring and say fighter of the night, Marco. Who are he? Probably had the toughest challenge going in. Um, and yeah, you know, to, to to weather a storm like that and then to to win fairly comfortably, I, I think he's earned that. Uh. Very quickly, for me, fight of the night, obviously, agree with both of you. Uh, the only thing that approached, uh, well, I'd say it was a good fight, but it was definitely the only thing on that level for me. And fighter of, uh, sorry, fighter of the night. I'm going to go with Marco. I'm going to side with Bob on this one. Um, very composed to weather the early storm from Goodridge. And we've seen some just unbelievable highlight real knockouts from big, uh, Gary Goodridge before, uh, namely the one, I, I don't know who he knocked out, I'm not sure he ever fought again, uh, but the Crucifix one a couple of years ago with the elbows, which was just unbelievable, and then most recently at Pride one, the knockout of Taktarov. Um, we know he can knock out top-level fighters. The Taktarov, as you pointed out earlier, is a fighter who has a victory over Marco, um, and Goodridge knocked him out cold. Um, so Marco came in here, weathered that storm, composed on his back on the ground with the much larger man on top of him, uh, very opportunistic to pick the leg when he saw an opening, and he put the big man away. So for me, fighter so of the night. Th- that trio's all got a victory over one other. Uh, who has beaten Taktarov? Uh... Goodbridge has beat, hang on. No, Taktorov's beaten Huar. Huar's beaten Goodridge, and Goodbridge has beaten Taktorov. Triple, ma- right. triple threat of Mania? Someone triple like threat match. The only way to settle it, really. Um, but that will bring to a close um, with your fight of the night being uh, Marco Rua and uh, Gary Goodridge, and your fighter of the night, Marco Rua. Uh, that will do it for Volume 5 of March 1998. Um, quickly recap the first four volumes for you. Uh, they are as follows. Volume 1, WWF with WrestleMania. Uh, volume 2, WCW, focusing on the uncensored pay-per-view. Volume 3, rounding off the wrestling coverage, looking at ECW. Volume 4, the first MMA edition, looking at UFC 16 and uh, the end of year for 97 MMA awards. And this has been Volume 5, of course, covering Pride 2. Uh, I'd firstly like to thank Tom Martin for joining me. Tom, uh, yeah, thanks for joining me, and you can be found on Twitter. Yes, thanks, Chris. It was a pleasure. Um, for about, well, I'd say about 30% was a pleasure. Um, but yes, you can find me on Twitter at uh, MarkOutMartin with a Y. Excellent. And, uh, of course, big thanks, as always, to Bob Bamba. Bob, you uh, tell the listeners where you can be found on Twitter and also tell them about our Patreon Yes, we've got early access. You're going to get this about six, seven weeks early because uh, we're in February. Uh, it's ten past six. I thought we'd be done by about five o'clock on this show, but there we are. Um, yes, uh, Patreon, if you'd like to say thank you and get early access to shows like these, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 YRS. Uh, yeah, wrestling com is our website. You can find me on Twitter at Boy Bamba. Uh, and that's about it. Chris, I'll let you uh, take the reins and wrap things up. Excellent, thanks, Bob. Um, yeah, I have been your host, Chris White. If you'd like to do so, check me out on Twitter at ChrisWhite14. 
that's about it. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>